Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast uh, and my guest, mm -hmm. who are you? Uh, my name is Sarah Candle. Um, I was born in 1976, 3rd of August, for any listeners who are interested. Well, that's a... Um I, was, I, I ran, thought, ran I thought, out of details. I was going to say, you, you basically started with when you were born and then <laughs> yeah. you've stopped. I, I thought for a minute yeah. I wasn't even going to have to interview. No. I thought no. I was going to step back and a, you were literally going to run yeah. through every moment of your life. It was life. a dark and stormy night, Will. And, uh, the when nurse, were you born? Well, in terms of time. No, where and when? Tell oh, uh, Newcastle Hospital, which has now been demolished and is uh, a high-rise apartment. Is that um, right? Mm, um, uh, by the ocean at nine o'clock in the morning. Is that right? And you? Uh, I don't know what time. I think I was born in the middle of the night. Uh -huh. I know it was a 36-hour labour. Oh, Do you know how long? fuck off. That's a lot. That's a lot. How long were your labours with your children? Mm, well, uh, my labour with my daughter uh, was 10 hours, and that was that was excruciating. 36 hours, I mean, you know, that's a lot. And my son was uh, five, six hours. Mm. He'd bust, well, my daughter, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my daughter had busted up the joint pretty bad. <laughs> she left the path. That's right, that's right. I was like, oh, there he is. That's good on you, Viv. She really smashed up the shop on her it, way out. It was yeah. not the uh, road less travelled. <laughs> No, it was, it is, you know, and it's, because I remember I was talking to a a, a a doctor and he said something like, oh, I think that, you know, men shouldn't be in, in the in the room when women giving labor because, you know, and I thought, you sexist bastard, like that is such a revolting thing to say about how men should judge a woman being in labor and, and bringing life into the planet. And there was a moment when I was in labor and I was on all fours shitting into a cup and I thought... Henry's never going to forget this. He was, he's never, this will, this is going to have a knock-on effect in some way. You can't shit, you, he was holding the cup uh -huh. that I shat in. Yep. I was just screaming. I was in At so least he's much part pain. of the pro process though. Well, they, they, they are a little superfluous. So holding a cup is like, oh, well done. You, you, Good on you, Henry. You're part of it. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. held the shit cup. You totally <laughs> delivered that child. It was, yeah. So did you guys discuss whether, like, was it ever a discussion of him not being there? Because I imagine no. in this day and age, no. most people probably, are there it's kind Absolutely. of expected that you will be part of it right yeah and it and, and it is you know for all it's you know you know for all the awfulness it's also like the most amazing thing and, and it, pr pretty much every man i've spoken to has gone i wouldn't have missed that for the world like seeing my my child come into the world but you do see a and lot also, of also i mean every man secretly wants their you know wife to shit in a cup for them i think <laughs> so, so. Yeah. i've seen stuff on the internet that would right. suggest there's some market yeah for one that. mum two cups That's no right. <laughs> <laughs> mum baby two cups <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah, so okay, oh, yeah. so that's interesting to me. Let's start with that because I do actually find that, and seeing we're talking about it, yeah. like the idea of like uh, that you two, like you know, did you plan that you were going to have children? Yeah, did, like was we it did. a we thing went, that you talked about? Yeah, we sort of went. Okay, well, you know, let's let's start. Let's try. Let's try for a child. See what happens. And uh, so it was very. It was intentional. Like it was definitely and uh, and he was so involved and he was so excited to be involved. And I've got to say. Pretty much all the men I know have been like that. They actually really, really want to be at every stage of it. I, I, I don't I, – I, and anyone who isn't, I kind of think how wildly dysfunctional. Like the, Were you guys – did you guys know anything when no. you decided that Nothing. you would have kids? Because like, no that's idea. the thing that – because I don't have any kids of yet. And I, mm. I Look, and I don't know if I will, but I think mm. about it. Yeah. Like I know that I'm definitely at that point mm. where I look at other people with children yeah. and I constantly put myself in that shoes of like, yeah. would I like that? Would I not like that? How, how would I be? How do you feel? I don't know. Yeah. It, like from day to day it changes. Yeah. It genuinely does from day to day. Yeah. But I know that I 
think of it a lot. Yeah, okay. Like even the other day, I was just walking down uh, Regent Park, yeah. which is nearby here in London. We're in London talking. Yeah. And uh, it was middle of the day. Mm. So Regent Park is pretty much empty yeah. apart from me walking through. And a bunch of uh, – there was like a, some school groups and they were – I imagine they were probably girls of about – I'm going to say like eight or nine. Yeah. I'm guessing, but yeah, it's probably yeah, about yeah, eight or yeah, nine. Yeah. And they were all doing sports and learning how to play cricket. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah, okay. And it was adorable. Your ovaries popped. It was. Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I wish my daughter was learning how to play cricket with all her like yeah, female yeah, friends. Yeah. And then I realized I was lingering and watching with a big way smile. too much for a stranger <laughs> to be looking yeah. at a bunch of like. There was a point yeah. where I was like, I'm going to take some photos and say, yeah. oh, no, no, I'm not. not. No, I'm not going to gaze adoringly. <laughs> At the beautiful girls and take photos. Okay, you know yeah. what? I want to talk all about children because I think that's a good place to start. Sure. But people get annoyed if I uh, don't ask what if people have a philosophy first because it may sure. be something that that's is the, of yeah. interest to the things that we talk about. So yeah. let's. Uh, I'll ask you: Do you have one? Is there something that you do have a philosophy? Yeah, I do. I think I've got a couple that because when you asked me the question uh, and I just sort of you know just ran through a couple in my mind, I've definitely got. A work philosophy that, and I think it's come from from being uh, a parent. Um, I, was, I was trying to get as concisely as, pro, as uh-huh. possible, but I think um, you don't have to do the job perfectly. You've got to get the job done. And oh, good. I, think, I like that. Yeah, and yeah. I think for me, so much of what held me back before I had kids was that I would say no to things thinking I couldn't do it or that I wouldn't do it well enough or, oh, I haven't got the time to do it, you know, whatever. And um, and then I had kids and I took time out and I came back and I really felt like I was starting from scratch again, like I'd been gone for long enough that I felt like I was, you know, really fighting hard to get the ground back. And I just kept on saying yes to stuff because I knew I had to. And I was doing stuff at the last minute. I was pulling all-nighters to get stuff done. Uh, I was completely underslept, but I was I was getting shit done and more stuff than I had ever got done before I had kids because I just went, just do it. It doesn't matter how – you don't have to make this perfect and don't beat yourself up. It'll just be a miracle if it gets done at all. And that's sort of become my philosophy now. Like don't – it doesn't have to be perfect. It's got to, it's got to get finished. Um, that's I mean, that's fascinating and I, I find that – I think that's probably one of the more interesting philosophies that people have had. Well, right. certainly from my point of view, You're right. I, it, it reminds me of when I first bought a house. Right. And I was terrified of buying a house because <laughs> yeah. you know what it is with it's our a lifestyles. Big deal, yeah. I, you don't know if like next year because yeah, you know, you're freelancers. That's right. You don't know if next year you're going to be able to pay your mortgage. Yeah. But that idea of being like you know tied to one place yep. and suddenly you've got this. There were so many things about buying a house that I found mm. terrifying. Yeah. And I was talking to my father about it. Yeah. And I was like, I, you know, this and that and all these reasons why I shouldn't do it. Mm. And he said, look, idiots buy houses all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know? There are lots of idiots right. with houses. He goes, you'll work it out. Yeah. Like, you know, just do it. Yeah, and exactly. I. I think that is part of what holds me back when it does come to things like mm. having a kid mm. is that idea of going, I don't know yeah, right. what to do, Yeah, but there is some sort of uh, power in just yes. starting and working it out. Get it done. And, and also um, you, will, you will learn and no, everybody starts knowing nothing. Not a single person knows what they're doing at the outset. All right, um, so let's talk about kids. Let's talk about kids first and then we'll get to other stuff because mm-hmm. we were already there. Sure, and so sure, sure. It's a nice place to start. Yeah. You decided, yeah, you met this mm. guy, you decided to move overseas yeah. to like pursue something, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a big deal. 
It was, but again, I was when I moved over to England, I was 24, and even if the whole thing had blown up in my face, the exit strategy would have been simple. I mean, I arrived with a suitcase uh, the size of a, a, a couch cushion. Like, I really, I just kind of thought, yeah, we'll just see how this goes. I, you know, as I say, it probably, you know, I'm 24. I don't know if this is going to last forever, but and if it if it doesn't go well, I'll just I'll just come home again. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have a strategy. Like, and I never had a strategy. Like, I kind of. I think about a year ago, I started to think I should have a strategy. Right, I should have some sort of a strategy. <laughs> this ain't working. This just see what happens. Things not working. So yeah. Uh, so tell me about like when you you guys have been together for a while. You decide you can have kids. Yeah, we'd been together for nine years, right. and then we sort of went, oh, we, maybe we should get married. Should we get married? Yeah, we let's because he proposed out of nowhere, and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's get married. And then did you think that you would get married? Were you the, like the sort of per- in your mind was there ever the point of like, oh yeah, okay, at some stage I will get married? Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I I was open to the idea, but you know, a non church marriage like a celebrant that kind of thing. Like I was, you know, I was like, yeah, that seems like a logical thing for us to do right and then uh after he- not like the, there were some people in australia today i was reading a great article because you know australia is the last place on the entire planet that doesn't have marriage equality it feels like still i know sarah are you serious i, I mean didn't... to the point where as i when ireland yeah ireland of yeah. all places like the most religious <laughs> yeah. place on earth yeah, yeah, now yeah. has marriage equality wow. it was literally the last place that i tour yeah that I could do, like, I'm like, I can't even write jokes about, like, gay marriage anymore no. because Australia is the only place that, that that material is relevant. But surely that'll pass when Tony Abbott is is finished. Like, surely that'll just be, it'll just be the clock. You could you could pretty much set that clock to the end I would, of this government. I would suggest that if I could have a guess, mm. I think it'll happen during this government. Do you? Yeah. And I think that's probably the best thing that will happen yeah. because I think – for a, and it, it, that's what happened here in the UK. Oh. I think it's best if a conservative government brings, it brings in. in marriage yeah. equality. Yeah, you're right. Because it sort of becomes unassailable. Yeah. A, marriage is a very conservative idea. Mm. Like, you know, it's that's not... right. I mean, gay people are already fucking. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> what? Huh? We, we've already gone, that's legal and yeah, gay yeah, people yeah. can fuck. Yeah. The idea that, like, they can only fuck one person and yeah. you know, be with that person, that's actually a oh. much more conservative yeah. idea. Yeah, that's right. And so I think... It may happen during this conservative government. It was a really disappointment to me that Julia Gillard, who was a the Labor Prime yes, Minister, who yes. wasn't you know an unmarried atheist. Yeah, I mean that to me was the time where I was like, well, Australia is going to have marriage equality. And why didn't it? it? Just didn't. Well, she. I mean, she said publicly she that she didn't believe in it. Which what? I know. That's- like it's weird if you don't have the whole you know. God thing to rely on? Yeah, because like, Tony, are you just being yeah. a bigot? Yeah, now, you, <laughs> like, now you're just mean. Like, a Tony Abbott's at least a religious exactly. bigot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's afraid of hell. What have you got? Right. You're just being mean in this life. Yeah. For the fuck of it. <laughs> Shit. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, so, so, so yeah. marriage was something that you were like, oh, well, this might be nice to be with yeah. someone that I love and to, for us to be able to say publicly that we yeah. love each other. Yeah. That this is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and I remember right. the child. I remember the having children discussion. We'd just gone into the town hall and we'd booked a celebrant. Oh. We're sitting on the steps of the town hall, and I said to to my husband, <laughs> "I think maybe we should try for children." And that really floored him because I kept on saying to him, "I don't want children." In fact, like a year before that, I'd said to him, "If you want to break up with me, because I know you want to have kids. If you want to break up with me, I would understand it because I don't want to have kids." So, oh, yeah. okay. And I felt like uh, it was wrong for me to 
uh, stay in a relationship where I was, you know, quite adamant about it. And I, I kind of knew. And he was he was broody, but he was shutting up about being broody, which was heartbreaking because he was just shutting up about it. Uh-huh. So, you know, and I, I, I had this discussion where I was just like, I would understand if you wanted to leave me to, uh, you know, go on, go on to have children. Let me, um, if, if you're comfortable talking about this, because I, I find this really interesting, particularly because, yeah. you know, we know how this ends. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing to me mm. is, did you 100% believe that you did not think you were going to have children at the time? I don't think so. Or did you, were you just kind of saying it? Did you... That's a good question. I don't know. I felt like I, do you know, I didn't want to give up all that comfortable space that I had. Uh-huh. And I knew that as the clock was ticking, I was running out of time. And I was like 32. And I was thinking, oh, but I've got this, I've got cool stuff happening with work. And I ride a bike everywhere. And I don't worry about getting killed because I haven't got kids. Right. I, you know, if yeah, I want to go, if you die tomorrow, that's right. At it the doesn't end of the, matter. I mean, you know, yeah, I go. Henry will probably be sad. He'd be sad, he and a few other it. people. Time plus tragedy. <laughs> time plus tragedy. I he'll, get a, he'll get a great solo show or a book out of it. Right, exactly. <laughs> or someone who wants to have children. <laughs> right. Either way. Yeah. yeah I go and see. You know, I'd go to IMAX at midnight and watch like Apocalypse Now Redux. All these things. You go. I like this. I like yeah. this space. So how? What changed then? So well, that's because that's interesting to me. Like because again, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I mean, I live an incredibly, yeah. in some ways, selfish lifestyle. I feel like you might kind of be like Hugh Grant in About a Boy. I feel like <laughs> you have this crazy, awesome life, right? And you're just like, but what's wrong with it? Why yeah. would I want to change? Why do I want to ruin this? <laughs> exactly. And it will be ruined by children. It'll be ruined in a way that you will never be able to fix. Like in the, I mean, even us getting together tonight. Yeah, it's a you're miracle. Like, you're, yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking miracle that I got here. I mean, from your end. Yeah. I exactly. was doing nothing. No. <laughs> I just would have been here watching like yeah. episodes of The Good Wife or something. Oh, Why man. You- I was lying. I was trying to get my son to sleep thinking, Will's probably on stage right now. He's probably strolling through Soho. He's probably dancing to the Cuban beat outside a restaurant. I don't know. It was one of those things where you were like, when I first got a message from you, I thought you you, 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 you were having trouble getting your kids and I hadn't mm. quite read on it. And my first thought was, oh, she's not going to make it. Yeah. And my, my thought after that was, oh, well, that's just disappointing but i can go and catch uh, mad max again exactly <laughs> i'll go in 3d yeah. now 3d so good yeah <laughs> yeah no i just i, I really and I, I had i had i had real and i think a lot of women uh, it's the same you just have trouble going oh but i you know i fought so hard for all this right. stuff um and, and did you feel like as a woman because i think Less so for a man. Mm-mm. Still, yeah, in today's absolutely. society. Yeah. You, I you mean, can't avoid the fact that the woman has to carry and give right. birth. And, and the truth of it is that even if I do decide to have a, a child, mm. chances are that I will still pretty much continue <laughs> doing yeah. things as I'm doing them. It's true. You know. But with tons of adorable material about being a dad. Right. People love it when dads talk about being a dad. Mom's not so much. Yeah. Dads. In fact, that's pretty much why I'm thinking of having one. <laughs> it's a whole new show, Will. I it's mean, a, a, it's a trilogy. I'm going to all... <laughs> get, get through the next 10 years, you know. Yeah, It'll, yeah that'll I can only talk about my hips so much. (laughs) This is all about that house you bought, isn't it, Will? (laughs) This is all about that fucking house. that mortgage, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) I just got to have a new chunk. That's right. right, (laughs) I just got to get someone to shit in a cup so I can tell tell that story on Letterman. Yeah, (laughs) watch some woman disgrace herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So okay, what changed? So, the thing yeah, that, what changed? That's what I want to know. Well, do you, see, did you feel like it was a gradual thing? Did you feel like it was an overnight thing? Did you feel like me, you started to look at other people, you know, doing their thing and sort of see yourself in those you know, shoes? What was your mindset like? Well, I should probably start by saying my husband is like an arch manipulator. He is, he's like three, he, he's like three or four steps ahead. Maybe, maybe he's not an arch manipulator. Maybe I'm a bit simple, but he's always three or four <laughs> steps ahead of me. He's always got my Perfect. number. <laughs> exactly. He's super bright and I ain't. Sherlock and Watson. And what? And who? <laughs> Sherlock yeah. and what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I did this like noble speech where I was like, be free, my bird. Fly, fly. If, uh-huh. you, if you must be free. And, you know, and he said, um, I, um, I, don't, I don't care. I just want to be with you. And if that means not having kids, I don't give a shit. I love you. Okay. Good and answer. Ne- perfect fucking right. answer. Because then I just relaxed and went, maybe we should have babies. Kids, yeah. <laughs> That bastard, he fucking had my number from the outset. So, yeah. Did you feel like when you said that to him, mm. did you feel like he was – had he spoken about that idea that he did want to have kids? No. Did you feel like that was – so it wasn't necessarily like no. he's always like let's have no. kids and you were like oh, saying no, no or anything. English. Everything is a telepathy act with English people. Interesting. Oh, it is just – I mean, you've got to be Nostradamus. You know, you really got to – and he'd never said it explicitly, but I knew, you know, and I could tell. Um, so – uh, it, yeah, and about you know six nine months later, we booked this wedding, and we were sitting on the steps of the town hall, and I said, "Oh, maybe we should just—I don't know—maybe we should just fucking try." You know, it's probably going to take us a while, you know, from what I've been told, and right, and uh, we we got hole in one. Right, we fucking we nailed that shit. Well, just once, just, <laughs> just once. once. I did it once that month. <laughs> Pissed on a stick. I was like, you're fucking with me. You have got to be fucking with me. And I was like, no, what? I, this was meant to be months and months. Right. This is practice. This was just the pra- – I wasn't what? even sure. This is the one thing I can nail the first <laughs> exactly. time? Exactly. What about 10,000 hours? No. Has my uterus <laughs> no. not read a Malcolm Gladwell no, book? No, I cannot plan my career. I can't I can't plan anything, and this apparently I can do. So uh, – it's it just and then you you sort of you're on rails you just, the whole thing just unfolds and you you just fucking get through it you know okay so you talked about that idea of um you know in relation to your career about like just starting something and doing it yeah so you find out you're pregnant mm. what what happens then do you guys start to like, is there a panic? Is there a sort of we need to learn? Like, do you start to do some research? Do you start to talk to, like, your mother or your family or friends who have kids? Or, like, yeah. how does that start? Like, I mean. I, t- I sort of didn't believe it at first. I just kind of. And, I and you know. You, they say the first three months you kind of. Yeah, you don't tell You're not anyone. really meant to. Yeah. yeah. So you you remain stum about the whole thing and, and you're very stoical. I mean, I was certainly very stoical about it and kind of thought, well, you know, if there's something wrong, then, it, you know. Right. And um, and that, and by the way, I mean, I think this is something that isn't talked about enough, and mm. probably I'm the last person who needs mm. to be the expert on this. But mm. I've had some friends who've you know lost you know mm. in that. Like I mean, a, they say almost a third yeah. of like pregnancies pregnancies yeah. in that. And I think it's one of those things that almost it it because people don't talk about it. Yeah. When people go through it, they feel really really alone. That's like right. they've That's done right. something wrong or yeah. there's something. And there are all these different degrees of. You know, we just kind of talk about this kind of, oh, you know, there's a miscarriage. There are all these different types. You know, right. some people just have a, 
you know, it's just like the first couple of weeks. And right. then for other people, it's like 10 weeks. Yeah. You know, and it's. You have a heavy period one day and, right. you, you, and, and then you're other not people, pregnant. And then other people, it's like, well, this was almost like a baby. Yeah, they have to go to hospital yeah. and have it. You know, right. so you, there, there are all these different gradations. And, and, you know, I just kind of thought, well, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. And, and then I kind of. You know, you go for your three-month scan, and then after that, you wait for your twenty-week scan. And still, I, and because I was, I was, it was my first child. I wasn't showing at all. I got to like sixteen weeks, and I just wasn't showing. It just didn't feel like it was happening. I, right. didn't, I didn't have morning sickness. It didn't feel like it was. You hadn't stopped smoking or taking was, heroin. Oh, the crack like. was good. Good crack in two thousand and ten. Right. Well, I wasn't going to. I mean, that. in the UK. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, and cheap. They're very cheap. I mean, I had to do some pretty bad stuff to get it, but I was pregnant, so you can't right. get pregnant twice, right, right Will? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, and then at the at the twenty week at the twenty week scan, that's when that you they show you the baby. Uh, well, no, you see the baby in the in the in the the, the twelve week scan, but it's just it's a, it's just beyond being a zygote. It's uh-huh. it's like a it's just looks like a tadpole. And then at the the twenty week scan, there's arms and legs and a nose, and it's fucking moving. Did you know what sex your I baby did. I was? I did. I wanted to know because yep. I was having real trouble bonding with the idea that there was even a thing inside me. Like uh-huh. I, I didn't, and I was like, I really need to know what this is because I need to start talking about he or she, and you know, attaching right. feelings to that. And uh, and then I I saw her uh, on on the scan, and and she was there, and. And she was I, – I couldn't feel it, but she was turning and turning and turning and turning. And they said, oh, you're going to have your hands full with this one. She's a, she's a live wire. And she has been. She totally has been. Right. And that was for me that sort of – that breathtaking <gasps> – Yeah, right. Oh, my God. That, that really cracked me wide open. That for me was – and up until then, I'd kind of thought I'm a damaged human. I don't feel anything. I don't feel maternal. I'm not excited. I don't even think it's happening. I think there's been – some weird mix up and it's not happening. And then that all just sort of crystallized and and then the panic set in after that. What if I can't do this? What if I'm a terrible mother? And you just you, you just go through every, you go through everything. How uh, the panic's interesting to me because of course the panic comes. And the yeah. panic comes in regard to everything, I think. Yeah. At some stage. And you yeah. know this as a as a performer putting together like a show <laughs> or putting together a project. Yeah. There's always a point where like, you know, much like and like I'm not really trying to directly compare these two things, but there's always a point where there's the excitement of the idea of like, yeah, I could, I could write a show and take it to this festival. I that seems like a really good thing. And then you it. actually sign up and you're like, oh, God, have I locked this in? We've actually said that this is yeah. going to be a show. And then yeah. you're like, oh, no, no, now we're like six months out and yeah. we've locked in the venue and That's we've got it. the posters printed. Tickets and, are sold. Right. Yeah. You know, this is like and, – yeah. and now you panic. Yeah, that's right. So how did you – what was uh, Henry like and what were you like? Were you kind of on the same page with those things? Did you feel like he was? Uh, he was really cool. He was. Yeah. A, he's a. He's a very. He's a very calm guy. He's very British. He's just a very calm. You know, I don't know why I said that. Like all British people are calm. They've got some psychos in this country, but he, he is. He's calm. Right. But keep calm and have a keep baby. Calm, yeah, it's your right. thing, right? Keep calm and shit in a cup. Yeah, that's <laughs> as they say. Yeah, he sold t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, he's actually got many. them on the website. <laughs> yeah. Not that, not that many. A real specific demographic. That's right. <laughs> when you see another guy in one of those T-shirts, you're like, yeah, I hear you. Oh, yeah. I've been there too, Tiger. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Uh, he, did, he was, that, he was that's interesting to me, even the dynamic between the two of you. Did you mm. think about at any stage having your children in Australia? Were you always I like – I did. I did. I mean, I kind of – although because I was sort of, you know, kind of locked in here and that I had the midwife appointments and – 
<clears throat> we sort of seemed to be, you know, locked into on the schedule here. And I had no idea what it was going to be like. And my parents were going to be coming over for the birth and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I didn't uh, – Henry planned. Henry went out and bought books. Like there were all these like right. books and, you know, like, uh, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and all these – and they do. They just take you through it. You know, they go, here are the things you need to take to hospital. Here are the things you must have set up before you bring a child home to your house. Uh-huh. It's all there. You don't have to, you don't have to intuit it. Um, that, but that's interesting to me. That, and yeah. I guess that's what I was, yeah. in some ways, that's what I was asking. Yeah, he, is, he, did the, he did the boy thing yeah. of what do we do? How do we fix this? Right. What do I have to do in order to fix this? Yeah. Whereas mine was a far more abstract kind of, oh, the world is full of monsters. <laughs> how do I protect a child? Whereas he was like, how do I assemble yeah. a cot? Like right. that's yeah, and that's the how do I protect the you know the mm. electrical sockets from <laughs> exactly. a baby? You know like. exactly. So yeah, he he kind of he had the can do. I put my workman's hat on, which is great because it means that at least one human is functioning. You know, which yeah. is vital. Um, yeah, and then we just, uh, you, you know, and then the, 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 you've got the next 20 weeks where you sort of stumble through it. You start getting fat, you get uncomfortable, you get sore, uh, you get constipated. It's just really, the, the, yeah, and the child's just getting bigger and bigger. And there, there's that horrible moment when you just go, oh, shit, it's got to come, come out. out. It's got to come out. Yeah. It's, oh, I forgot that bit. Right. And that's the way it's coming out. And did you, were you always, uh, like, if possible, going to, like, let it out the front door? Did you ever consider? I was, I'm all for the medicalization of labor. I have no problem with it whatsoever. I don't do home births. If they say you got a C-section, I ain't fighting them. I think. Drugs? Did you have drugs? Yes. Yes. I. (laughs) Free drugs. Yeah. I was talking to, but you know what's really funny about this? The biggest caners I know are the ones who go, I want to do it drug free. And I'm like, really? 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 Yeah. You're going to do this drug free? There's, you, couldn't, there's some... you couldn't do Saturday night drug free. That's right. I've seen you. You couldn't do the late 90s drug free. That's right. Yeah. I've seen you do Coke off a shitty toilet right. seat and what, you don't want an epidural. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't want that dirty shit the hospital's right. got. So yeah, I it, yeah I was quite, I'm quite amazed, but it's always the people who've gone in too hard. That's right. there's like an addictive personality thing there happening. So I I was uh, you know, and my logic has always been I wouldn't get a tooth out without an anaesthetic. Right. Why the fuck would I push a baby out without an? I, just, I find it anyway, but it's, you know everybody makes their own choice. But oh, and, uh, yeah, of course, and that's fine. Exactly. So <clears throat> let's skip. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, we've talked about this a fair bit anyway, but. Okay, then suddenly you have a baby. Mm-hmm. Now, this is to me when it gets really <laughs> terrifying, right? Yeah, yeah. Because do you did you guys have like from the start some sort of like philosophy of like this is how we're going to try to raise this child? Like, because mm. I imagine one of the toughest things has got to be, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm, I'm speculating, mm. but like it's got to be tough on you two have been each other's each other, yeah, right, yeah, you know, yeah. And then suddenly there's this other that essentially that is kind of something you've created together, but it's something you've created together that's main mission in life, I imagine, for at least the first bit is to tear the two of you apart. Yeah, oh, totally. And the demands don't seem to get any less. The demands are different with Uh each stage, but it, it, it is just as full on at every stage I'm just as tired looking after my daughter at five as I was when I when she was at one. Right. You know, but it's a different type of, of tiredness. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and this is what every couple talks about: that you there are certain moments where you feel like two single parents who are living in the same house, p- 
parenting two children because at the end of the day you're so tired you just collapse and go let's just let's just watch breaking bad let's just sit here and then you don't have that time where you talk like henry and i used to you know we would have so much more time together talking Whereas now this is just a full-on physical task that we get through every day. And when they're asleep, we're like, oh, box set. Let's smash a box set. Let's get a curry, smash a box set. I don't want to talk to you. I don't care what you've done today. I don't care what you think and feel about anything. I want to switch off and just watch a great HBO series. Do, do you have certain, like, uh, philosophies by which you raise your children? Do yeah, you have, like, I do. And, yeah. I, and um. And again, this is just something that's kind of developed on the on on the go. I didn't start out. I, I think I might have started with some pretty big ideas, uh-huh. like I can't believe that child's on an iPad in a restaurant. I mean, they should be engaging the child. Whereas now, no, they have my kids. They're on the iPads, right? Because it shuts them up, right? Um, I <laughs> it gets I, it done. It <laughs> gets gets a job done. Um, it's not going to be perfect. It's just got to get it done. <laughs> the judginess that I used to subject other like. Oh, my God. I totally deserve everything that I get with if other people are doing that to me because I was a judgy. I was like, oh, that child is out of control. I mean, I do have that theory that that's why because I think like when people have children, they then want you to have children. And I think most of it's because they, oh, yeah. they join can us see in how much. Yeah, yeah, right. Come we join see us. how you're judging us. <laughs> yeah. You get some of this. You do a better job. It's why your parents want you to have children. It's true. So they can see. Yeah, how good a job they did. Like right. every time you go, wow, you didn't beat the shit out of me all the time when I was being a prick. Right. Thank you so much. I mean, I joke about it in the show, but the fact that my mum never once brought up the fact that you know the masturbatory socks next to the bed like that would be my you know, that would be my go-to oh. like argument mm. every time my teenage son like was like i don't want to do my homework i'd be like well i don't want to wash your wanky socks i'm so scared of when <laughs> that stuff happens i don't know how i'm going to deal with it i don't know how i'm going to deal with my beautiful boy beating off all the time it's, well, it's gonna it's something i have to get my head around but there will come a point where he's just going to be at it well, you're a fair way away from dealing with I am, those be, I know. things. I don't know what I'm going to do, though. But, I mean, I, are you more t- scared about your son or your daughter when it comes to growing Life. up? Yeah. Uh, like, different. I mean, it's different. I'm scared about what my son will do uh-huh. and I'm scared about what might happen to my daughter. Uh-huh. Interesting. So yeah. my, my daughter, you can see even at an early age, girls have got much better judgment. You don't worry about them doing stupid shit and uh-huh. dying from doing stupid shit. But you do worry about, oh, the monsters out there. There are monsters out there and, you know. And so my concerns are totally different. Whereas with my son, I'm like, please don't, don't be drink. A monster. Don't, don't, be, yeah, <laughs> don't be the monster. Yeah, yeah. Don't, but don't don't drink drive. Don't yeah. don't do those stupid things that boys do. And, you know, and I know girls do it too. But. And how do you balance that then? And, and I mean, again, this is a long way from you having to deal with this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, I haven't got there yet. Okay, but here's a question. I guess what I'm asking you is more a theoretical question because yeah. I bet that some of the more fun and life-changing and interesting experiences that you've had in your life. Yeah, it's true. I mean, in my life. Have danger in them as well. Right. I mean, I I remember I I was in like one of the genuinely, like with the perspective I have on my life, I once did DMT, the drug DMT, Mm. with some strangers in Dallas, Texas, like in the middle of the day and had one of the most – Life-changing experiences I've yeah. ever had in my life. Yeah. But if my parents yeah. and if my kid yep. did that, yeah. like I would be terrible. But yet 
that's been something that's you know that I has made me yeah. So how do you balance that idea of going? Let them have a life that is interesting yeah. and and I go guess, and go and do those crazy things right. that'll make great anecdotes and you'll cherish those moments. And we've all got those, you know, all through your life. Yeah, there's always that that kind of oh, that was a really dangerous thing that happened, or I was in a and and I learned something, and it was and. My mum just kind of said, you know what, it's luck. You just hope that your kid doesn't get unlucky. You hope that your kid doesn't take the drug that is laced with arsenic. You hope that your kid doesn't stumble out and get knifed by some schizophrenic guy. Like, you know what I mean? Right. You've just got to just just cross everything and hope. And that there is part of, and that is the, the most terrifying part of being, I think of being a parent, is that at some point you have to give your child over to the universe and go, I can't. I mean, when they're small, I can step in and I can do everything to protect them. But at some point, I have to give them over to life and just, you know, and I, that's I, – I get the sleeplessness. I get the, the anxiety. And when my mum's – all through my life, when my mum's kind of gone, you're not eating enough, you, you look tight, you're not – and I've always gone, oh, mum, and now I get it. I'm like, that's just it's, – it's a contr- – it's love. It's – I'm worried about you and I can't do anything. I can't physically protect you from the stuff out there. So – yeah, and that, and I I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I don't think I'm going to. Did do it change the relationship that you have with your parents? Yeah, parent? yeah, absolutely. I forgave them. Like I was so harsh on them before I had kids, and then I had kids, and I was like, wow, my parents were great parents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was such a loved, uh, adored, and um, and encouraged, and and. Uh, they were a, a couple, a couple of bad moments, and you know, I, when you suddenly go, "Wow, I could maybe count them on one hand," and that's extraordinary. So it, it really made me realise that I'd been incredibly fortunate. And that's the other thing: like when you have a baby, you're like, that's the thing that kind of kills you a little bit, is you know that there are people who have babies who are terrible with them, and they are so vulnerable. They are so totally vulnerable, and it's just luck. You're just lucky to be born to people who love you and want to make your life good or at least even are in a position in their life where they can take care of you exactly because i'm sure that there are plenty of people who are born into families who love them but are not in a position in their life where they are capable of supporting them or raising them or giving them opportunity in life yeah and we got lucky like we you know you just kind of you realize that that was just sheer luck that i got born to people who were just really pleased to see me. So your daughter is your Mm -hmm. eldest right and she's five? She's five. So school? Yes. And do, do you guys have an attitude to like what sort of education you would like your children to have? Like, do you have an attitude of like public and private school? Do you have an attitude of like, do you want, you know, your kids to be educated in a certain sort of way? Is that something that you think about or you're passionate about? I'm not passionate about it. I think the point where I get passionate about it is high school age. Uh-huh. I, at, in primary school age, you kind of go, whether they do it now or in a year or two years, most of them end up being able to count and spell. Right. Like it's, it's, it, they get there in the end. Uh, the thing where I think it starts to become quite a different – I think high school is a really defining time. Uh, I went to a, a, a selective school um, and I, I was really fortunate. It was a really – you know, I really benefited from it. Like if if, I, if my kids could get that kind of opportunity, I'd love them to, to have that. Um, so, yeah, I think with the high school thing, I think that's where it starts – you know, that that's where it does really start to become a, a really different – playing field what about you what I was, wanna, what's your background okay so i well okay well let's talk about this because I, I i like this as a topic because mm-hmm. i think that it's really interesting education i um and let's talk about you know because we can kind of move away from the mm-hmm. parenting thing a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of go back to you know being raised but mm-hmm. 
I went to like uh, Hayfield Primary School, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, Hayfield's got like 1,200 people. So I guess Hayfield Primary had like, you know, a couple hundred max. Wow. You know, so yeah. there was two schools. There mm-hmm. was the Catholic school, St. Michael's, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, there was a fence between the two schools. Okay. So basically, you know, there was a, yeah. you know, the balls would go over the, yeah, you know. Right. So it was that sort of close. And so I was at Hayfield Primary until I was in uh, – so I did until grade five there. Yeah. And then I went to school in Sale, which had like 12,000 people. And I went to a private school in Sale. So St. Anne's and Gippsland Grammar School, Stags. Mm -hmm. uh, Stags, nice, yeah. Yeah. So I was on a scholarship. I had a – Part scholarship to, right. to the the grammar school there, and then I kind of did my high school education there. So okay, is the RAF base? Is there still a RAF yeah, base? My that's, parent, right. that's where my parents met. My mum was a RAF brat. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, my grandfather was in the RAF, and yeah, they, well, the RAF base outside Sale is yeah. still there, and it's still basically wow. their main. I mean, when I was growing up there, there was two main businesses. I think Sale used to be about twenty thousand people, but right. SO, the oil company, yeah, was there, yeah, and that was back in the days when you know the business needed to be near where the rigs were yeah, and then right, right. modern days you know of I course, mean now yeah. it's in Melbourne and yeah. you know you don't need to actually be there and so half the town just yeah. moved away one day yeah right when SO kind of moved you know wow. to, to Melbourne so but yeah the RAF's still there that's still kind of yeah. one of the bigger industries there so that's wow. where I grew up and I went yeah. to school in Sale so okay. what about you was it Newcastle is that where you went to school yeah. originally yeah I did I went to so what did your parents do in Newcastle tell me a little bit mm. about like you know what life was like for you as a, as a little person uh, my dad's a dentist uh-huh. uh my, oh yeah. interesting mm. now that's one of the highest stress professions on every yeah. list that ever comes out in fact right. i think and this is a great I, I like to say a lot of things on this podcast with confidence yeah. that aren't necessarily true is it the suicide thing i believe it's the number one suicide is it yeah. the number one suicide yeah i've heard that i've yeah. heard that many times yeah. um uh my dad um he 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 loves it he's really Really passionate about. Would he it. only have conversations with you when your mouth was full? Just absolutely, <laughs> and he can understand it. I swear to God, that guy can understand. He knows what you're saying, but he uh, he he loves it, and and it, and it gave us a, a very nice life, you know. Uh-huh. And good he, teeth. Good gave us good teeth. Did you have braces? I sure as shit had yep. braces, and I also had uh, when I had braces, I had an orthodontic headgear that I had to wear uh, to bed at night, like Bane. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally. I was like a John Hughes. I was like a background character in a John Hughes film. Uh-huh. I was like the person who knocked into a, a locker or something. Uh, red hair? Oh, yes. Reddish hair anyway. Always, right? red. Always, Always red. Always red? Always red. And are your parents, like, is, where's the red come from? Mum. Uh, that's uh, the Scottish. Uh, her father was Scottish. Because uh-huh. uh, my brother and sister both have red hair. So really? I'm, yeah, I'm a, for, I know I have a little red. If I try to grow a beard, there's a little a bit red of ginger, in it. Yeah. A fleck of ginger. Uh-huh. Right. Well, uh, yeah, my, my mum, her side of the family, the, her, her father, my grandfather was Scottish. Um, and she was a stay-at-home mum. We were very much a very old-fashioned. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I I loved growing up in Newcastle. Was, I, I I saw an into. I think it might Newcastle. Been... Like for those who mm. might not know Newcastle, like an Australian. How big's Newcastle? Do you know? Like, well, it, it the it's hard I mean, to it say. was big as well, and then kind of is less so now, right? Because yeah, yeah. what was it? A steel town? Was it was it? steel, yeah. steel and coal. Yeah, and um, silver chair. And so and silver yeah. chair, <laughs> silver chair territory. It yeah. was silver chair territory. Um. Uh. It, it's, it occupies a huge amount of, of space. So to, to put it, I don't. I think they sort of estimated at half a million. Okay. But half a million over a huge, like Newcastle Greater Region, is enormous. Um, I, I certainly know from like you know, and this is like the way that yeah comedians often look at the world. Yeah. But I, I I knew that it used to be like a bigger market than like going to Adelaide or going to one yeah, of those right. sort of places. Right. It was yeah. You know, it, it was the fourth or fifth biggest yeah. sort of major city in Australia at one yeah, stage. Yeah. Yeah. But sprawling suburbia. Yeah. 
I would I would describe it as sprawling suburbia. And um, I, 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 looking back, I, I kind of think it was really hugely influential in me becoming a comic because there was nothing to do. Uh-huh. And Brothers, sisters? Brother, older brother. Okay. How much uh, older? Uh, nearly three years. Okay. Like two and a half, three years. Yeah. Um, but my friends were really funny people. Like they were, and I, I think because there wasn't much to do, we didn't have many distractions. Uh, the f- they would they were just funny people. Like they would tell funny stories, and we'd get up to when doing things. And I don't know. It always just felt like we had to make our own entertainment. And I think it might have been someone like Will. It might have been Will Ferrell who, who had this theory that, that that's really good for a comedian to be in suburbia because you you are having to draw on those resources. You know, you're not going to art galleries, you're not going to these fantastic exhibitions. You don't have all that. You know, you you're kind of trying to make that stuff, that interesting stuff, happen within your own world. When uh, Husey, Corinne, and I were doing um, Glasshouse, I remember it. <clears throat> The thing that I was, uh, we all talked about because we were all country kids. Yeah, I mean, Husey's from Warrnambool, so I guess Warrnambool's a bit similar to Newcastle in sort of size and like a bit country town slash city. Yeah, but yeah, Corinne's from Corriong and I'm, you know, from Hayfield, and that idea that so much of your day and time was spent having to amuse yourself. That's right, and come up with the things that were and and tell stories and embellish stories to make them funnier because there was nothing else happening. So talk to me then about juxtaposing that between, you know, know, giving your kid the iPad and like distracting (laughs) them experience. How do you as a parent like go – yeah, kind of demand that your kids be bored enough to be creative? That's uh, that's a, a good question because I don't think we give ourselves. I don't think we get bored anymore. I think all of us, right? Yeah, I yeah. think we have screens in our jeans. I think we walk around. We've got little computers the size of our palm, and we aren't bored anymore. Like I read this really interesting uh, story about uh, this guy whose car had broken down and his mobile phone had run out of juice, and he had to wait for like two hours for the for the car service to come, and for two hours he had to just do nothing. He had to sit in his car. There was no music. He just had to look out the window. He was like on a, on a you know, a quiet road. And he said it was the first time I have done that. I can't, rem- I can't remember the last time I did that where I just got bored. And I don't think we do that anymore. I think that's something we've lost. I, I As soon as I have a, a nanosecond to myself, check my email, check my Twitter, check, check my text message, oh, I've, got to, I've got to email that person about that thing. I don't. I, I don't think that's just my kids. I think that's us. I think that's where we're at now. I think this is the beginning of us gradually becoming computers. Will I agree with you though? Because mm. I particularly. I mean, even from like the point of view of like one of the things I like to do when I'm on tour, mm. I've, I've not been sleeping very well while I've been mm. here. But the the upside to that is I've been walking around because I'm right here in the central c- mm. city of London. Yeah. And what's happened is uh, sometimes I wake up at like three or four in the morning and I just yeah. can't. So what I will do is oh. go. Because particularly because it's summer here at the moment, yeah. so at about four thirty in the morning it starts to get light here. Yeah. So what I've been doing is just walking around central London almost by myself. Amazing. But the thing that I always do is yeah. I put on my you know iPod and yeah. I listen to either music or to a podcast or something. Yeah. And then the other day it just happened to run out. Yeah. I hadn't charged it properly because it yeah. was like late at night. I wasn't planning to do that. Mm. And I walked around in silence for a while (laughs) and the first like 20 minutes, it was creepy. Yeah. Like I was actually feeling really uncomfortable. That's right. But then after a while, I was like, my head almost started to explode with thoughts. Yeah. Because 
it's amazing. And okay, so from a point of view of writing, because mm. you know, now that you are, and you know, I want to talk to you about work, but like when you're writing, when you're performing, when you're putting, like you're, you're constructing a show or whatever, mm. do you, what's your process? Do you work in silence? Will you be listening to music? Will you be, yeah, taking in other feedback or do you need, yeah, will you be somewhere where you can kind of let your thoughts come? How does that work? Yeah, the, for me, that's been a, a really difficult. Um, uh, and, and a seismic shift in how I do. I mean, for me, and I think it's true of comedians. You know, you you your ideas just come out of. Uh, we don't we don't know how they come to us, but you know, I would I would have you know vast sections of the day where I'd just be doing stuff that fed the machine. I would feed the machine, and the machine would churn out material. You know, right. go and see a movie, read a book, uh, look at just look at a, a a book of photographs. You know, and suddenly you 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 feed this. The, you know the, whatever you you know your brain and yeah. um, it's a mystery box on MasterChef. i always like you've got to have <laughs> yeah. you've got to have the ingredients that's right you don't know what yeah. necessarily you're going to make with them yeah that's but right you've just got to make sure yeah. that you have like a Keep full pantry it. so Keep that feeding you, it yeah you know. and that's why i think comedians have got such bizarrely good general knowledge we right. just eat shit up all the time because all we don't know how we're going to spit what you're it gonna out need. all right I don't just consume. I can't do that anymore. I, right. I, my dance card is so fucking full with um, what I would call menial tasks. Right. <laughs> uh, and I, I love my children more than anything, but it, a lot of it is just manual labour, uh, and uh, that that machine is is not getting fed. So that that kind of so you can't combine those two things, like or like it's impractical because that's the thing I always think is mm. like, well, surely while I'm looking after the baby, I can still yeah. like you know. Read the New York Times or you, listen well, to a podcast or whatever, but is yeah, that you can. can you or can, you can when they're yeah. a baby, but then they get older and that just not they're right. not going to go. Oh, sorry, you're reading that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back when you finish. <laughs> Uh, there comes I mean when you've just got one and they're at that beautiful young age you sit there and you breastfeed and you watch a whole series of Mad Men and then they get older and it's it's over Um, um, uh, so you know and for me the the way I would work up shows uh, you know around uh, pretty much what I'd love to know is I mean we're jumping all over the place but that happens a lot with this anyway Um, talk to me about how you put together shows before you had a child and now talk to or, or yeah, vice versa right, right, tell me right. how you do it now yeah. and then tell me how you did but tell me the difference uh, that's what i want to know the way i would do it uh, in the olden days uh, i you know the way my year would go is I, I would do edinburgh in august and then around october november you start getting those grumblings of oh, i should start working up new stuff and then i would just uh, either do loads of new material nights uh, or slot new material into my already existing set when i was doing club sets and, you know, over months, I, I would certainly find that, uh, th- that there would be a theme running through the new material. Like, you know, you sort of stand back and you're like, oh, my brain has obviously been working in this general area. Right. And then you've just got to thread it through in a hopefully elegant way that, you know, makes it a cohesive whole. So, you know, I would just I, – I, it was a very loose approach. But, you know, after months and months of doing lots of new material and putting new material in, in established – within you know nice safe spots where you know if it if it fucked up i could follow up with some strong stuff and then i would i would string that together into a a, a an hour of stand up that had hopefully uh, some kind of uh, as i say a theme to it um and then i had kids and then i i i, cu- I couldn't do it anymore i mean my first show that i did when i came back i did a lot of how stuff. long a break did you have between when you like you stopped i assume yeah I when did you two- stop 
for a I start. stopped in 2009. And it, but when when was that in your life? Were you pregnant? I just Were got pregnant. Just, yeah, okay. just got pregnant. Right. Uh, and then I and at that point, mm. uh, to, just to give some context yeah, to people, yeah, yeah. I mean things were going pretty well, right? Yeah, they they were. Yeah, they were. And uh, I, it just didn't it didn't occur to me that um, that this would be a difficult thing. It didn't. Oh. Occur- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd heard other women complain right. about it, but, but I just thought they had to fucking yeah. grow a set, right? Um, <laughs> It's it's just amazing the hubris. We're like, well, these other women seem to think it's a problem, yeah. but, uh, but I'm sure I'm, I'm sure we'll muddle through. Man, I'm going to have my baby in the Pleasance bar. That's right. I was so I was the kid's so... going to be flying by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I, and I just had all these ideas uh, anyway. And then the first show that I did when I came back in 2012. So three years. Yeah, How, three yeah, years. Three years. years yeah. So when you took that long off, because mm. I, I just want to walk through this because. Yeah. You were at a point in your life where I think probably you. I hope hopefully you were enjoying your work. Were you enjoying I was, your work? I was enjoying. You were certainly it, yeah. like it was going well for you. Yeah. Uh, how important was comedy to you as a person? Because the idea of stepping away from it for that period of time yeah. is something that I mean, I that, even hearing that, yeah, I I don't know why, but I still have a reaction that yeah. c- it confronts me. Yeah, like the idea. I, I, sometimes if I go three weeks, I'm like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Yeah, the idea right, of going right. three years. Yeah, I'd yeah. be like, maybe I don't do a comedy anymore. I I, I do you know? Did I, you ever think in that point I'm not going to go back to it? Yes. I did. I, I totally did. And I felt I had changed um, so profoundly. I didn't know who how to be that person I right. had been. All of my material uh, felt like a different human. I felt like I was doing another person's set. Right. And I didn't know how to come up with new material because I, I felt really different. And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what the way forward was. And so I started doing stuff about parenting. I started doing stuff about being a mum, which is fine. But you do the the big problem that you have is most people with kids aren't going to comedy clubs because they're exhausted or they're looking after their children. So <laughs> you just point. end up doing a lot yeah. of parenting material to a room full of people going, okay, <laughs> right, yeah. right. That sounds... You've pretty much convinced us not to have kids. Yeah, well, that... right. That sounds fucking awful. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Do you have anything else to yeah. say? So I sort of had this conundrum. Of, Why are you here? Yeah, be at home exactly. like other people like you are meant we're, to. Be, Stop spoiling our night. Exactly. You're not that girl yeah. anymore. We're, Give up. We're here because we're not you. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And the only people who are really digging it were other comedians with kids just going, oh, I love that thing about being shat all over. Right. You're know, like, yeah, no one else is really. I mean. You really needed to just start doing gigs at yeah. people's houses. <laughs> exactly. For new parents. That's right. But I also had to get back on stage and say something that was right. true. Well, of course. But that, I mean, of course you're talking about that. I was speaking to Peter Hellier about this years ago and he's yeah. got, you know, he had kids. For a comedian, I think he had kids reasonably young, yeah. you know, and a bunch of kids. Yeah. And when he first started talking about, you know, parenting stuff, yeah. he was a younger guy talking about that and there yeah. was some snobbery, you know, it's like in comedy, yeah. oh, he's talking about having kids. Yeah. Whereas I was like, I always said to him, I'm like, well, of course you are. Yeah. What else are you thinking about right that's now? All, that's, your, that's your life. Right. Yeah. And you do have that thing where you kind of go, oh, now I'm doing parent. And I used to think that too. When I'd see people doing parenting material, I would in my mind go, oh, dear God, here we here go. Here we go. Here we go. Better make this interesting. And then I just, I just found myself talking about it because it's all my life was at that point. And I just had to get back on stage. Like that was really – and so I did this stand-up show um, 
And that also touched on being a mother to a daughter, like how how it had really sort of awoken a lot more of the – I was already a feminist, obviously, uh-huh. but then you have a daughter and all these issues just become – you really feel them in a in – a, I felt them in a far more visceral kind of, holy shit, this is really serious. This isn't just, oh, it's unfair, that's fucked. You know, you're actually like, no, this is like the world that my daughter inhabits and she deserves better than this. Is that because uh, you ha- – okay, so t- – Rather than me speculate, mm. please tell me, yeah. how did you feel? And I don't want to, like, get bogged down in, like, you know, women mm. in comedy, but we mm. have to acknowledge yes. that, like, when I speak about this idea of, like, you know, I'm, I'm on stage, like, tonight mm. doing a whole chunk about, you know, like, women getting paid less than men and blah, blah, blah. But mm. I also work in an industry yeah. that, if you look at it externally, is one of the most, yeah. you know, biased. Like, I work in a job where female people who do my job yeah. are often asked are they even capable of doing the job? Are women funny? Now, I don't want to get bogged down in that, but did you feel that being a female performer previously to, like, were you aware of the fact that, like, as a woman, I'm in a a career that, you know, is it like a difficult or more difficult place to be a woman? I, uh, and this was the hubris of youth, I kind of knew that, but I thought I'm just going to work super hard and be the best that I can be and I'll change that. Right. And then you start hitting these weird phantom obstacles and you can't figure out, why do I keep hitting these obstacles? And I'm not getting any younger. And hang on a fucking second. (laughs) Hang on. This never had anything to do with how hard I work. Right. This had nothing to do with how good I am. So I I think... You know, and I, 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 it's something. Were that you I, a person who was like? I mean, because you said it changed a bit when you had a daughter, but yeah. were you? Because you're a smart person, and you've always been a smart person. I've known you like since you know when you started doing right, comedy, yeah, and right. you were always like a person who I felt like was you know aware of the world and like you know educated and political aware. Did you? Have it like what you would consider a feminist streak before that? Had you read yeah. about it? Were you aware of that sort of struggle? I did. I did. I was. I was very aware of it. But again, I thought that there was some weird exception where I was just going to be. I was just going to. I've always had this thing throughout my life that no matter what the obstacle is, I've always felt that if I work hard enough, right. that I can get over it. That um, you just got to work super hard. And then uh, when those obstacles are so so bizarrely uh, insurmountable, that's when you go, oh, shit. And I just uh, – I think just enough time had gone by and where I suddenly went, no, this does apply to me. I'm not I'm not going to be the super special right. person who gets around this just by being really good. All those other women who have been overlooked are also really fucking good. Yep. It was never about us not working hard enough. And that's kind of – I think the illusion, that's the dangling carrot. Well, if you were just a little bit better, then this whole problem wouldn't exist. And then you you, you are the best that you can possibly be and it's, it's still not enough. And I well, think- I mean, that's a great trigger privilege in general. Whether, exactly, exactly, exactly. Is that – yeah. And, you know, it's it's the, the great thing that Rupert Murdoch can convince through his newspapers that the reason that you don't ha- have enough money is because of refugees yeah. coming from another country that's to take exactly your job it. rather right. than the fact that his news organisation was the biggest tax cheat in Australia. That's that, right. You know, that, that's the reason you don't have the money. That's right. I yeah, mean, that's right. It's so displacement. It, it happens it, yeah. on all levels of society. Yeah. Privilege – always tries to reinforce its own privilege. That's right. So that's that's interesting to me. So how do you feel like the world is now? Because it's obviously, you know, some people are calling it, you know, this current like phase, the the third wave of feminism, if you want to put a label on it or whatever. But it does feel to me that at the moment 
the idea of feminism mm. is top of mind a bit again. Yeah. Like, is that yeah. a fair I, thing to say? How I do you feel so. about that? I think so. I mean, the thing that I, I, I to- and I think things are getting better, and, like even just looking at the, the Edinburgh Fringe, how far it's come since I first did it in 2001. It's amazing. It, the difference has been amazing, it, it, and it is getting better. There are so many more uh, female performers, and they're all fucking good. They're really fucking good. Um, whole new batch uh, coming through, more and more each year. Um, what about the idea of role models? This is interesting to me because here's mm. the thing: like, I grew up on a farm, and this mm. is sometimes when you talk about privilege, mm. like particularly as a white man, mm. like sometimes I feel like there's people in the audience going, "Well, I worked hard," and you, by you saying that, you know, because I'm a white man, I'm privileged, it devalues mm. the work that I've done, or any, yeah, those sort of things. Yeah. Now, I mean, I grew up on a like a dairy farm, you yeah. know, on a road that's named after my grandfather. You know, yeah, right. Dad lives on that road still. My brother's a farmer on that road. No yeah. one. No one gave me a, a free ride and yeah. I've worked hard for it all and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But I also acknowledge that if I had been my sister yeah. trying to do my job, yeah. it would have been harder. Yes. And, or if my sister had been black, yes. that would have been harder again. That's right. That's right. It doesn't mean that I didn't struggle the or, same, or that it wasn't hard. The same argument could be said to me. Like, you think you've got it hard. You're a white girl who was born to a dentist. Right. Yeah, why don't you try being like black? What absolutely in, in, in a you know in an estate where it's fucking and there's always you know. someone who's going to be worse off yeah. than you. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think we lose anything by acknowledging that oh, for a God, start. No, that's your humanity. I but mean, that's, secondly, yeah. the thing that I always that I'm super aware of, mm. I never for a minute thought that I couldn't do it because mm. the truth is when I looked at the career that I wanted to have, yeah. there was plenty of white guys yeah. doing it. That's true. How important is that idea of like seeing people who are like you? Was yeah, that the visibility? The visibility. Yeah. Got, like to be able to go, oh, well, okay, that's someone who's a bit like me who's doing that. Absolutely. Thing. I mean, there were women uh, who were, um, when I first started, you know, the women who were in Edinburgh and doing well in Edinburgh, you know, like Joe Brand, uh, Hattie Hayridge. I mean, even uh, uh, Julia Morris, who was, you know, right. she was, you know, doing really well. Um, and looking around at those women and Joe Caulfield, you know, they were they were sort of that next generation up. But they would they would do they were there. They were visible. They existed. There was a path. There was even though it was it was a slightly more it wasn't as clear a path. But they were there. Um, and those women, I I felt made me think that's okay. I can do this. They're here. And and certainly. Looking to America, I've always felt, and I'm I'm sure that you know it's it's there are just as many obstacles. But America has had so many high visibility female comedians that have been like you know even dating back to Lucille Ball and all the women who have come through SNL over the years. Oh yeah, Joan Rivers, all those guys. But yeah, but at the same time, like despite all that, you look at the eleven major talk shows that are on television, and they're all hosted by men. Yeah, that's mostly white men. That's right. That's right. And the writers' rooms are exactly. I know. I mean that daily. I mean the Daily Show, which is one of the best shows on television, and this is not to insult, but like. Look at the writers on the end of that. That's right. Yeah, like you know, like nine out of ten. That's what I'm saying. Men. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know that they've got their own problems, right? But on the other hand, I could see, you know, like even I, because I would watch old episodes of SNL, like I loved it, and seeing people like Gilda Radner and Jane Curtin, and you know, they were there. You know, they they weren't. What about Australia? Was there like when oh you my started God, Australia in Australia? Was, for me, Austra- like uh, the the women on Fast Forward. I used to watch Fast Forward. I was in uh-huh. high school and I loved it. I totally loved it. 
Um, and the women on Fast Forward and the women who – some of them did Big Girls Blouse after that and that's the Kathleen Kim team yep. and, and Mark Downey who, are, you know, all those women, they were so funny. They were the yeah. strongest. Jane Turner, Jane O'Reilly, all those right. guys. They were the strongest performers on yep. the show. They were By so far, funny. The and the characters were more memorable. And all they, people I'd like to have on the podcast, if any of you are listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were my – they were totally my heroes. Like I yep. – that, that's what that's what sort of aroused my interest in comedy in the first place because I loved those shows. I loved what they were doing. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, the, the same uh, for, for Judith Lucy. I mean, seeing her on The Late Show because, you know, The Late Show was very Boise and she was, she was not only a woman but she wasn't an easy, highly accessible woman. She right. wasn't – she wasn't there to just. Come they hadn't <laughs> got. They hadn't got like. Uh, yeah. The. Very, that's exactly what you. Right. And that's what I loved it. And she. She wasn't on the end going. Oh, Mick. Guys, guys, stop oh, it. Oh, Tony. Guys, <laughs> stop it. So I. You know, and she was the one that me and all my friends loved and identified with because she was sarcastic. Yeah. She kind of didn't get into what they. But she was. She was there, but not. She wasn't a negative presence, but she was just her own little sphere in this. And she somehow thrived. You she's know. the. I mean, she's done the show before, and mm. uh, like people know how much I admire Drew. Yeah. But to, I, the more I talk about her, mm. and the more I think about like what I know now, mm. and think about her, particularly because for what people don't know about Drew, like Drew came into that show, mm. like they were a pre-existing, yeah. established group Jesus. of people. Well, they'd done G- DGen before, right? That. Yeah, and radio together, and all yeah, these things, and yeah. then Judith Lucy, Hi, who guys. at the time. <laughs> Wouldn't have, and she would have been like, like I, I mean, twenty three, twenty four, something. Shut I mean, up. I mean, she wasn't old. No, like you know, twenty three. I guess, like I'm guessing, but like not wow. anyway, mid twenties tops. Yeah, right. Yeah, what? A, and she was a revelation, and yeah. and and also for girls like me and the my greatest. friends. She's, I, I, yeah. I still find it hard to think of anyone yeah. in Australian comedy that I admire more than Judith yeah. Lucy. But they that that visibility that you're talking about, that presence. That for me made me think this is this is doable. And I, I mean, I loved Lucille Ball when I was growing up, and I still really love her physical comedy. I think she right. is an amazing. The politics of the show are dreadful. I mean, it's it's just barely concealed <laughs> domestic abuse. You know, it's like you know. are not leaving the house, Lucy. You are going to stay in this house, and you are not auditioning for that. You're like Jesus, yeah. Desi, grow a dick. Like right. it's really yeah. I don't think it's, it's even dark. barely concealed. No, concealed. I think it's, it's pretty much it's and the, it's a horrible dysfunctional relationship. It really is. It's this weird sitcom. <laughs> That is abusive. It's an abusive sitcom. But uh, but I, I she for me was this. She was so funny, and she was also um, so ageless. Like you know, when she did things like his Lucy, she would have been easily over sixty, and she was still doing that kind of daffy physical comedy and doing it really well. So I and again, that really aroused my interest in comedy and the idea that this wasn't just a, a male domain. So when did you start? Like dabbling in comedy was that university? University that'd be about when I met you. Yeah, so you were at Sydney University. That's right, Sydney Uni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And w- what was the first thing you did? Was it like a comedy competition? Yeah, yeah. five minute noodles. Yeah, hosted by Adam Spencer. And was Tom Gleason around at that area as well? I, yeah. yeah, he. I think he did the semester before me. I uh-huh. wasn't in the same competition. He did a character called uh, Malcolm, and Malcolm was a mature age student. Uh-huh. Uh, and he he tore it a new one. He had such a good gig. He came out uh, and, and did this big thing about being a mature age student. Uh, it was terrific. It was really funny. Really funny. And so 
what what were you studying when you arts? I was just a just yeah. a basic arts degree. We say study in the uh, in the most general. Well, I mean, it's a good word. arts is a perfect starter course for comedians <laughs> for something. <laughs> Again, it's yeah. a, just a general sort of like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Do you have an open mic competition? Exactly. Or I haven't taken a year off, but I kind of have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've that's taken a year yeah. off with some debts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is going to cost a bit, but you know. So, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to pause for a second. Sure. There's still a couple of things if you've got some time that I, I do. Talk I do. To I'm about having it, a really nice but time. But I'm just going to have a little bathroom break. Of course. Uh, so we had just a little break, yep. so I could get a cup of tea. Yes. Go to the bathroom. Yes. Uh, so we were talking about you starting performing because that's yeah. interesting to me because that was basically when we started to. I mean, we haven't. This is interesting to me because we briefly knew each other when you first started doing comedy and stuff but then i guess you moved overseas and since then like it's one of those weird relationships where this is the longest conversation we've probably had in 15 years that's true i I supported you at the um you did gigs in newtown you're wearing a cat in the hat t-shirt is that right yep wow Mm. I mean, I remember us working together. Like, yeah. I, have, I have a very clear memory of that time. I remember, I remember the show. I remember the show. You had um, improvised suggestions in a bowl on the stage, and it, you would yell out a track to the um, to the sound guy. Uh-huh. Oh shit! What did you do? People what did would write I stuff do? down, put them in a bowl, and right. you had a bowl on stage, and you take them out, and then you would yell out a track number, and somehow was related to the bowl, the suggestions bowl that was on the stage. Does that ring any bells for you? I mean, it sounds like something I would have done. This is, <laughs> this is pretty much like, it, like the amount of times where somebody says something like that to me, and I go, "Oh yeah, that sounds like something I would have done." done. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lemo, you know Lemo, right? Yeah. The Australian yeah, yeah, comedian yeah, yeah, yeah. Lemo. He was uh, on a podcast the other day telling a story about something that I did when we worked together. Right. And I was listening to the podcast, and the whole time it was like I was hearing a story for the first time. <laughs> I can't remember it, but it's but it sounds exactly like something yeah. I would have done. Yeah, that is. So a, like, it well, resembles me like, enough. Yeah, I was like. Oh, you yeah, know, that sounds like I don't doubt that happened. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. I can't. If you really asked me to tell that story, I wouldn't be able to put it together yeah, myself. Yeah. I've always enjoyed those those aspects, those sort of shows. I yeah. mean, I, I, that's why I love – people have heard me talk about it before, but why I love doing shows like Set List and stuff yeah. now. I've all, they've always been those moments where you're creating something or you're doing something or there's yeah. something unexpected on stage. But yeah. So you start doing comedy – Tell me what you felt the Australian comedy scene was like at that time. What were your impressions? Did you feel like it was a job? Because I, I guess when I talk to new comedians now, I mean, this is my 20th year. I've been yeah. doing it 20 years this yeah. year. And uh, I, I often talk to younger people about the idea that when I started, it really was still running away to join the circus. Yes, definitely. Like there were certainly some shows on TV like your fast forwards or like your late shows and those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. But the idea that you could be – a professional stand-up comedian yeah. was still something only a handful of people in the whole country that's would do. That's right. It. I think that's 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 very true. And there was a real uh, something that I noticed, and I think Tom Gleeson he pointed it out that in Melbourne, you know, you had a bit more of that culture because you'd had the comedy festivals, the yep. international comedy festivals, and the Last Laugh, and a few that's of those right. places. You had some really well-established stand-up venues, um, and there was just a bit more of a comedy culture that you benefited from the internationals coming in. You know, at well, the even to the festivals. point where, you know, if you were a comedian who wanted to be a comedian in Sydney, yeah, technically there was kind yeah. of pressure to move to Melbourne. That's exactly right, and the scene in Sydney was a shit fight. The comedy store was – I mean, that was the only real proper comedy venue. And, and Sid, the Sydney comedy store had grown up. See, the difference 
Yeah, and this is an oversimplification, but mm. Melbourne had had the festival and so it, it yeah. developed this culture of like longer form shows That's and it, storytelling right. shows. Right. And whereas Sydney had been like it had been people like Ostentatious and exactly. Rodney Rood and That's like right. and where the clubs had been really sort of short, sharp, aggressive, right. heckling, very adversarial, yeah. uh, and. Uh, just lines. Just and even right. if you just memorise yep. stuff from a joke book, you'd do better. Right. If, if you went out and just went three Jews walked into a bar, you'd be fine. If you, I mean, still good material though. It's good. I mean, that's good yep. stuff. Yep. I mean, I'm not going to tell you the rest, but right. it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't go out and have some abstruse musings. You know, that's just it wouldn't it wouldn't cut it. And then if you weren't doing the comedy store, if you weren't one of those people doing the comedy store, and there was. You know, uh, guys like, uh, you know, Carl Barron was, was definitely like one of those who was really doing well and, and kind of – and even Carl's stuff, what was amazing about his stuff was that he was doing that observational stuff but making it short, succinct, easily accessible right. but weird observational stuff but he was making it work. But Carl, Akmal, Anthony Murr, Anthony Murr Gary, Gary Eck. Yeah, all those guys. That was kind of that new sort of – that were, they yeah. were the guys who were taking it from what had – it had been, yeah. but then putting, yeah. being able to play those clubs, but being able to put like yeah. a new, more interesting. That's right, and it, it was more interesting. Yeah. And they, and I think the Harold Park Hotel that was the other one, right. and that was a, yeah. that was a, a, a far more gentle environment. That was like a theatre, and you could do better stuff was coming out of there. And guys like Pete Burner were coming out right. of there, and or James you know, O'Loughlin, James O'Loughlin, and that was that new generation who were. They weren't just doing jokes. They were doing something that was more interesting. But for the level that I was at, I mean, RSL clubs where the television was left on. Right. You know, you'd, you'd walk into it with the pokey machines. You'd be like, oh, fuck, what? I've got to do 20 minutes. Right. You know, and you just knew you you, you were just a lamb to the slaughter. You knew you were going to get torn apart. So t- 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 talk me through some of that. What was that like? I mean, particularly like- – well, It didn't feel like a career. Right. It felt like – So uh, what, what even drove you to do it then? Well, see, I started – so I did I did that for a little bit. So I, I did the thing at university and that went well. And then I did – I started doing club spots and found it terribly, like just not my scene at all. Then I worked at a Triple J for a while writing for Adam Spencer. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really doing stand-up at that stage. And then in 2000, I went to Melbourne and did the festival. And that was a revelation. That was like just I, – I, I hadn't been exposed to anything like that. And stand-up like that and the international acts, what they were doing, it was just – it totally changed. I suddenly was like, oh, this is a career. This is actually a – this is a thing. This isn't just getting stuff thrown at your head and standing in front of a, the football. Like right. this is a, this is a yeah. proper. And that for me, that really sort of aroused my interest. This that is not me... just you filling in time until the truck raffle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which I won once. Right. Uh, uh, best gig you had in Sydney. Best fucking, best fucking gig I ever had. Uh, so yeah, and then but I, I left um, halfway through two thousand. That's oh, when I moved over right. to England. So t- t- tell me about that then because you're very like, sort of new and young in your comedy career at that point. I mean, of I remember course, yeah. coming – I remember going to Edinburgh in 99 and I look back on that and think, you know, I was a, a child, like, yeah. you know, really did not know what I was doing at all. Yeah. So you're coming now over to like the biggest – Mm. Particularly for an Australian, because at that yeah. point the idea of going to America wasn't even something that no. was possible. No, so for right, us yeah. to go to somewhere where comedy was like a big thing, like mm. London in particular was that thing. Mm. How did you feel about that? Like, were you 
uh, excited, scared? What was it like for you when you first came over as a, like, as a comedian? I was incredibly overwhelmed. I, I was ex- extremely overwhelmed by how many clubs there were, how how full the clubs would get, that they were listening. They were they The audiences were savvy. They were comedy educated. They were people who who not only knew a lot about um, like stand-up, but they had a, a back catalogue, you know, British comedy on television. They, they, they were a, a clever audience. Uh-huh. You know, they, this wasn't their first time at the Rodeo. You know, they were, and they were confident, clever hecklers. And I found the whole thing in, incredibly terrifying. And I, What I, was the hardest thing about it when you first came over, do you think? I just had no experience. I, I didn't have enough experience to deal with it. And I was, I was felt very on my own. Like I'd moved over to be with this guy I'd fallen in love with. And I had maybe one or two friends in London. I didn't know any other comedians. Are, are you a person who makes friends easily? Superficially, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm superficially, you know, like friendly and stuff. But it does take me a while before I go, oh, I really like this person. And then, I, then I'm all over them. But I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty friendly to most people. What but, sort of yeah. friend do you think you are? Like, you know, how many how many close friends do you have, do you think? Shit, I don't know. Um, I, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking that's for... A, a tough, that's a hard I'm not question. looking for an exact number, but... Yeah. Like, you know, like, do you feel like you have a lot? Do you feel yeah, like... Yeah, I do. You... I feel like I've got a lot of people who I love and I feel like, um, uh, like I'm there for them and they're there for me. Yeah. And what do you require of your friends like are you a do you think you're an easy friend do you think you're a harsh yeah, friend what, actually, what's your yeah. strengths and weaknesses a friend do you, do you think? know what i am terrible on the big stuff very good on the little stuff oh so okay. if it's your birthday i'm not going to remember it i'm not gonna i probably won't even buy you a present uh but um i you know i'll help you move house i'll you know i'll bring the car around and i'll help you move house and i'll lug shit up and down a flight of stairs to help you move and, you know, that's no problem. But I, I won't get your birthday present. I won't even phone you on the day. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I'm the opposite. If you've got a crisis, come to me. <laughs> but don't ask me to fucking lug shit up your stairs. Yeah, yeah. I'll help you hire someone to do yeah. that. Yeah, I'll change your tyre for you. Um, oh, I'll get you an RACV membership, <laughs> but I will not. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same as doing it yourself. But go on. <laughs> I'll help you through your emotional breakdown, but not yeah. your car breakdown. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I, I what think... What do yeah. you think that people... Uh, what do you need from your friends? What is uh, it that you... I like honesty. Uh-huh. I find, um, uh, and that's something that does become more and more, I just haven't got time. I don't have enough spare time as it is, and if that time is filled with bullshit, then I've got to write it off. That's the, that's the other thing that happens when you have uh, children, Will. Uh-huh. You, you do write off the people that it was a bit marginal, you weren't quite sure, but you still went out occasionally. They go, out they go. You don't see them anymore. That's, I mean, that's interesting in itself. Like, yeah. I, I find that... I think touring does a bit of that as well. Like being <laughs> yeah, away from home. Yeah, of course. I suddenly realise I'm like, oh, yeah, I just kind of lost track with some people. That's right, yeah. Uh, I, I'm interested in that from a, an honesty point of view. What What is your bullshit? What's What's your main bullshit? Like what is the thing that you need to be called on? Oh. Um, like, you know, if you're honest with yourself, when, oh, you know, when yeah. you – what is it that, like, you know, that you need to be checked on? I'm self-pitying. Oh, I, I, yeah, yeah, the self pity thing, and I like in a work sense, in a life sense, all of those, things. all of those things, and I am. Waiting. And how does that kind of manifest itself? Um, mountains out of molehills. 
Like I catastrophize. Uh, uh-huh. My husband would be perfectly equipped to answer this. Um, I catastrophize and then I place the onus on the listener to make me feel better. Right. So I will catastrophize, talk about how dreadful it is, and the whole time I'm fishing for them to go, that's not true, Sarah. You're doing really well. Like, you know, yep. it's – and I, I think it's excruciating. When I actually think about it, because uh, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing subtle about it, but there is that kind of, for fuck's sakes, would you stop complaining? It is not the end of the world. A bad thing happened, all right? Bad things happen in this life. This is not a big bad thing. And I think... Um, Who do you trust to call you on that sort of stuff? Is there one person in particular or is there a bunch of people? Or My husband is yeah. pretty... He's, he's, he, so but, that is something that yeah. you, know, you look for in... Because yeah. I think... He's some, very... Le- because he's so level-headed uh-huh. and he's a very analytical kind of character, he will... And I know if something was a big problem, he'd go, this is a big problem, we need to worry about yeah. this. But generally speaking, he'll just be like, okay, I'm, I, I can't say the magic thing that's going to make you feel better here. You need to get some perspective and calm down. Now, this would probably be an easier question for him to answer and hopefully maybe one day I could get him on and he can. But what is your strength? What is it that, you know, you like do for him in that regard? What is it that you bring to it? If he brings that sort of sense of going, you know, I'm sensible and I can kind of call, what is it that you, know, you in return are giving him? Might be a I hard question him, for you to I, make ask, him, but. I think I make him laugh. I think right. even though we've been together for like, you know, 17 years, I think I still – and he still genuinely makes me laugh. And, and it's really nice when it's not shtick. Like it's, stuff sneaks up on you and you're like, that's hilarious. And I think, I think I do still make him laugh. And I think I can make him laugh when he's kind of down. I'm good at, you know, making fun stuff in the middle of the day. Like let's, let's just make a fun thing happen now. That's – so, yeah. And tell me, and these, again, are, are broad generalizations, obviously, but like uh, having your children raised by an Australian or at least <laughs> someone who was born and raised in Australia, you know, you, I mean, you've been here for a long time now, yeah, yeah. Um, and an English person, what, like, what are the kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses that both of those things, or is that a, it just a stupid thing for me to say? No, not at all. Uh, and and it's a, it is actually a sort of a, a point in where we differ with the parenting Um uh, and I, I think it's a cultural thing. Um, my husband doesn't know how to show that he's angry. He doesn't know how to show. And if you do that with a child, they will read that as, oh, I'm allowed to do this. Uh-huh. So they, if, they, if they keep wearing you down and you don't show them that they're pissing you off, you're going to create a little psychopath who doesn't read, oh, I'm really annoying this person. I should stop doing that thing. Right, because you're meant to teach them that right. there are some things that yeah. you... Yeah. Not everything you do is adorable. Right. Stuff is going to piss people off, and if you push them, they're not going to be as nice as me. Right. So whereas I <laughs> I do show... Right. Yeah, I show my anger, and I'll be like, would you stop that? You are driving me mad. Whereas my husband will be like, honey, or you know, with, with Leo, like you know, he uses the, the gentle language, and I'm like, you can't expect them to intuit what you're actually feeling. You've got to show them. So, and, and the swearing. I definitely swear too much around the children. <laughs> and my daughter has dropped the occasional F-bomb. And it's so obviously come straight from me. <laughs> but, you know, I, and this is, uh, this is a, a depression. Uh, this is just, uh, you know, um, there are times when you're so tired and you're so worn out. The last bastion of not punching a wall is to just say, for fuck's sakes. Like... If you just go, for fuck's sakes, that's stopping you from kicking a window in or, like, you know, fucking smashing up the kitchen because you're so angry. So sometimes I think, like, a swear word, whilst it's not good, it's better than breaking, like, a vase because you're so angry. Uh, So... 
uh, I'm interested just to go back. Uh, we're circling back a little mm. bit, but um, you came back to work. Mm. Uh, how were you a different performer when you came back? Oh, the nerves. I've always struggled with nerves um, a lot. And the nerves were just, they became crippling again. And they, they'd been very bad when I first started. And how did you deal with them when you first started? Gigged a lot. Okay. <laughs> And I think so. Just again to kind of hark back to that philosophy that we started with, yeah. that idea of just throwing yourself into yeah, it. Just do it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. Just get it done. Just do it. Um, and I think you know, I think maybe it was Ross uh, Ross Noble who said something like, "You've got to be as comfortable on stage as you are off stage. It's got to be the same environment to really, you know, get that purity." And that's what I'd previously done. I just gigged all the time and it, it didn't feel like an altered state. It wasn't an altered state to be talking into a microphone with a room full of people looking at me. Whereas if you take a break from it and you go back to it, it's like an out-of-body what, what, what experience. What is this crazy thing I'm doing? Why is everybody looking at me? Why am I talking to them? How am I meant to communicate ideas in my head through words? Like the whole thing becomes, right. what the f- – it's like a you know David Lynch kind of – experience you know so I, well i mean I've, I've spoken before about this idea that i think that if you knew how shit you were when you started you wouldn't keep <laughs> no, going no it's so true yeah. but what you've done because then what you kind of do is go well i start and i keep going to the point where hopefully i get okay yeah. and then by then i've just kind of forgotten that i was shit for all that time right because <laughs> yeah. now that i'm okay yeah but then if you take a step away you've then gone oh no i'm starting again and mm. but you've got all this new awareness yeah. of like how good you're meant to be and right. maybe that you're not, you know, back no. at that already. Yeah, no. I, and it, it was awful. And So how did you – because I must – because once you've now got something more important, because mm. the thing that keeps me going is I really have nothing more important than this to do. Yeah, But right. you suddenly now have something more important. Mm. So how do you then start to balance those two things? Well, what was weird was that I'd, I'd kind of – I think, you know, I've got I've – got, kids at home and and they're the most important thing in the world and this gig it doesn't matter what happens and i'd be thinking this on the way to the venue it doesn't matter you know no matter what happens if it goes well or badly i'll go home to my kids and what matters is that they're safe and but then that moment where you walk out on stage and everyone's looking at you Mm -hmm. you don't give a shit about nothing nothing else matters those kids i just need this bit to work (laughs) exactly nothing else exists i want their love like i needed crack i was like you know and, and it became and so that's, that that's, was still there. Because that's, that's interesting with, to me. That that yeah. so that was still there. And that's that like doesn't yeah. suddenly be diminished because you do have something no, more important. Because in it's your an life. altered state. And and that's the thing that we all know. That I mean I, I honestly I have trouble remembering the walk to the microphone most nights. I don't remember walking to the microphone. It's almost like I become in an altered state, whatever that state is, and nothing else exists. I don't think about anything else. And that's what's great about it is that you are – it's a very mono – it's you, the audience, making it work. What's happening? You're multitasking. Why – okay, th- this is a tricky one. This audience is a bit tricky. They can go for that bit. What are, what are they going – okay, I'll, I'll drop the routine. I'll just improvise for a bit. That's working a bit better. Let's try to go back to the routine. No, nope, they're not – okay. And you, the whole time you're – you're driving a car and cooking an egg and, you know, doing up a seatbelt. You're doing so many different things at once. It's great because you can't – I mean, people have asked me before about how, like, when you're sad or something bad's going on in your life, Mm. like, how do you perform? And I say, well, in some ways, that's when you love it the most because you can't think of anything else when you're out there. Not to do it properly. That's right. To do it properly, you've got to be in the moment and hyper-aware of everything that's happening. That's right. And the Um, minute you're thinking about – you know, did I leave the ironing board on or what have yeah, I got yeah, to do yeah, tomorrow yeah. or whatever, then you're not 
That's that right. Moment. And you're also you're trying to figure out your audience. You're trying to pick up on stuff that they're. Do- I mean, there's so so many things are happening that I don't think about anything else when I'm on stage. Uh-huh. Um, and part of that, I think that um, it, because it is so myopic, um, when you get the nerves, it's almost like the lens is right up against your eyes and you can't see straight. It's and and that's when it becomes uh, crippling. That's when it becomes. Uh, Are you ambitious? I'm sorry. Are you ambitious? Yeah, I am now. I wasn't. I, 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 I think I kind of thought magical things would just happen miraculously, and now I've sort of gone. No, you gotta, you gotta work, and you gotta keep working, and you gotta work hard a lot. That's what, uh, what would you like? Like, what if uh, you know? If the, if I could grant you your wish, yeah. What, 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 what would that be? It would be to do the time and space to do the book adaptation of my last show. And then the one you just did, touchdown, yeah. right? So, I, and then to turn that into a television show. Interesting, because I haven't seen that show. I saw the touchdown. That's the one you saw. Oh, that's the one I that's saw. The one you saw. So, yeah. which is the one you did in Melbourne this year? That's a day in October. Okay, yeah. all right. So, yes, okay. So, I saw that show, yeah. the one that you're talking about, right. that which is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Uh, Amy came and saw the new one as well, which she loved as well. Oh, did so, she? Yeah, she oh, loved great. it. She cool. saw it, I think, in Melbourne. Yeah, right. So, um, uh, so that, that I haven't seen that one yet. Mm. But um, when you the interesting thing about uh, Touchdown and I believe about the, the show that I haven't seen, what, what yeah, was that one a, called A Day again? in October. A Day yeah. in October. Yeah. Is you, and much like myself, mm. there's always kind of a, a, like a, a, a structure or a construct or something that happens at the end that you know, yeah. ties it together or yeah. perhaps even more so with you than me. Mm. Normally mine's more a tie together, whereas often you have almost like a – like a reveal, would that be fair to say? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a story, and you know, with a story, you know, shit's got to happen, right? Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, I do, I do feel there is a, a yeah, there is a big reveal. At the so end from the construction point of that, yeah. like, uh, talk me through just how you put something like that together, because you talked to me beforehand about how before kids, you just like start to run things up, and eventually you'd find <laughs> some themes that are yeah. running through them, and it would naturally yeah. find its own feet, and that, that's that tends to be how my shows get put together. Yeah. Often and I find the theme will the show will tell me what it's about. Yeah, I'll just keep start talking about things, and That's suddenly, right. like all these things are kind of about the same yeah. thing. And this it's is like what a, it is. It's like this, the Kaiser Soze moment where you stand right. back and, and you're like, like oh, hey, oh. <laughs> yeah. But is but is that how you do it now, or is no, it different now? No, yeah, no, right? totally different. So talk me through that. Uh, well, I I. I decided uh, I love telling stories and I thought, you know, for me the, the next natural thing would be to do a one-hour story. So not a stand-up show that's got a couple of stories in it. This is like a one, at a, a, you know, a semi-autobiographical but fictional elements and make it as fictional as you want. Like, you know, you don't have to stick to what happened. You can really… So talk to me about that. Like that idea of, you know, how much as an artist you think that you have permission to stray away from... If it's funny. The truth, truth. <laughs> yeah. Is that how yeah. you decide? Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's still, it's got to do what it says on the tin. It, like, the, it's still a comedy show. Um, so a lot of the decisions I make, within reason, um, have got to be, okay, well, that's a really strong bit and that feels like that ties into the character... Actually, I'll go back a step. I generally have – I could say the story in one sentence to you okay. at the beginning. Uh-huh. I go, I've got this idea for a story. This it's, is what it is. It's about this and these two people and then this happens. And anything can happen within that story. I can have as many tangents as I want. I can have as many story events. But that's the one-line pitch. Um, 
And then for me, it's it's about it's a, that's an interesting thing. I mean, my last show, Illuminati, which is the special yes. that's out, which people can please buy. Yes. Uh, or if you're in a country where you can't buy it, please steal. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't mind, but yeah. if you can buy it, please buy it. Yeah. Uh, but the first story in that show, it, like if I was going to give you the one line, it's a story about that time that I saw Matt Damon before a gig, but it turns out that wasn't my story, and I didn't see Matt Damon before the gig. Okay. And the and it's about that moment where I yeah. realized I've been telling a story for 10 years yeah. that was not my that I did not see. Yeah, right? right, right. And so the first 15 minutes is me telling the story of seeing Matt Damon. Yeah. So of course, every bit of that is made up yeah. because it didn't happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, like people yeah. will still say to me after the show, "I know that you didn't see him," but all that yeah. other, stuff, I'm like, "Well, how can it be? Yeah, I right. did not see him." People want it to be they they always, they but it feels true can. because it's yeah. me remembering a story as if I was yes, it, as if it was true. Yes, yes. So I guess that's what it's got to be, right? Yeah. You can't ever tell something that doesn't that's right feel true. That's right, and and in order to do it uh, every night. I think there does have to be that truth in it, um, in order to make it interesting and, and emotional for you every night. You've got to have the, you've got to have something invested in the story. Um, but I think also for me, um, uh, I, you know, I've, I've got that kind of. I know where the story's going, but my stories are, are always very much about character. It's about the characters uh-huh. and what do I, you know, who are these people? Why are they interesting to me? And when I find why they're interesting, the story takes off. Like it always starts from a place of these are just really interesting people who have been thrown in together mm-hmm. and, you know, just turning the screw on them as much as I can. You know, there's, that, that's the, there's a great uh, script writing analogy that um, every story you take your character, you put them up a tree and you throw rocks at them. And I, I love that. That's, yeah, that's very true of my stories. You know, I, I take these people and I, I, I try to make them drawing on reality but also fic- fiction as well. And turn the screws on them as much as I possibly can. Uh, talk to me about this idea of um, is it different from night to night or do you get to a point with the show where you're pretty much going out there from night to night and replicating? No, I think every show – I think every show – yeah, it, it is different. because Every audience different? is different. The pace that you do it at um, – uh, that's, that's a good question. Um because there are there there are serious moments in touchdown, um, and the problem with that, there were certain nights where the the laughs would be too big, uh-huh. and I think, oh, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> the idea go, that it can be yeah, this is going to go really dark, right. and I feel like oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this to them because they're uh-huh. really they're loving they're loving it, the comedy thing, right. and it's not a happy and I'm about story. to it's not pull a happy, the rug up from right, under these people. <laughs> And I'd be barreling towards like the 47th minute thinking, Hey, fellas, I know you think this girl from the crying game is really hot, but just (laughs) all I'm saying is. Yeah. Oh, I know. And and I I, I felt that quite acutely. But um, I think we're all all big people. And and I, I, you know, I I think that life isn't just comedy. It's not just drama. It's it's a combination of the two. And and the two can coexist quite comfortably. Uh, Okay. Uh, Let's uh, briefly talk about life as we finish up. Sure. Um, Death, uh, are you aware of it? Yeah, my grandmother's dying at the moment and I can't be there. Um, And she's kind of losing consciousness with each day. Uh, She's got kidney failure and her lungs are packed. She's 93. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has got to – it's weird how we, we talk about these things, but you, you, I kind of want her to, to pass now because her, she's in such a bad way. 
Um, and the thing that I that I found really interesting is that as she's shutting down, she's not panicking. She's actually, you know, she's ready. She's actually ready. And I, she's the last person I would have pegged as having that kind of stoicism at the end. But she's actually like, yeah, enough. Enough. It's time. It's yeah. time. It is, yeah. And that's... Um, uh, what about yourself then? How do you feel about that? Has it changed since you've had children? Like your attitude to death? Were you aware of it previously to... Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously everybody is born knowing that we will die. But yeah. I think there's a certain... I mean, you know, you get the impression that the minute Woody Allen was able to you know, speak, he started worrying about dying. <laughs> whereas, like, I think a lot of us, yeah. you know, yeah. probably don't live with it that present in our life. What's it, what's it been for you? I think now... I think I used to think about it... Uh, in a kind of, I don't know what I used to, I can't remember, which probably mm. suggests I didn't think you about didn't really it as think much as it, I should yeah. have. Um, well, I don't now, know if there's a right amount to think about it. Yeah, it seems, seems important enough. But I think my, I think my, my attitude I, My now, attitude's always been it's going to happen regardless of how much I think about it. Yeah, but there will be that moment. <laughs> there will be that moment. I like to think it'll come as a surprise. <laughs> if you're lucky, I mean, there is. I don't know. I, I just my fear. I, you know, I, my only my only requirement now would be I would be okay with it as long as it's before my children and I get my children to adulthood. Uh-huh. If I had anything happen to me now, um, and that and that that that's the thing, you just go. Oh, they're not ready to lose their mum. Whereas I think if they were at least adults, I could just go, it's okay. okay. They're, they're adults and I've I got did them my there. Bit. Yeah, that's right. And for me, that, you know, the, 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 I wouldn't panic about dying. I would panic about them not having a mum. That would be the, which is why I don't cycle anymore because you just kind of go, oh, yeah, well, if it did, it's just, it's too dangerous. And um, yeah, I, 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 um, that, that I'd be fine with it. I think, and that's, that's now my attitude to it. It's about the care of my kids. You know, that, that, that would, be the thing that troubles me whereas i think before i just kind of i was interested in it more from just an artistic perspective mm. like you know the greatest poems and plays they always take on death that it was more of a sort of academic interest do you have any uh, theories about you know are you a person who believes that when we die we die do you have any other I think beliefs about know. that i think nobody knows and i don't i and because nobody knows i think um uh, anyone who talks about it with certainty has just got their head up their ass. If you if you certainly right. say there is no God and there's no afterlife, and if you say there is a God and there's a heaven, I think you're both equal. How the fuck do you know? What do you know? Right. I mean, it's that theory of, you know, you should surround yourself with people who are asking the questions, but don't surround yourself with people yeah. who think they know the answers. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And I think, and there's also, you know, I know we're all very up on uh, on the God delusion now. Um, this life is extraordinary and this is enough. If this is all there is, that's enough. That's There doesn't have to be fairies at the bottom of the garden, I think was the way he described it. Do Thank you me. give your – how do you then give your own life meaning if you don't have like a bigger no, – and by the way, yeah. I don't have a bit. This is not a like how do you give your life meaning question. Yeah. But – how do you give your life meaning? What what gives your life meaning every day? What is it that you think life is about then if you don't, you know, yeah. have a higher belief in something else? Well, you know, yeah. from th- day to day. I think it's about uh, it's about just finding good moments and being decent. I really do. I there was a the way um, life was described, uh, there was this book, uh, the Poisonwood Bible. It's a great book. And this character died, and the way, the, way the, uh, the the author described it was, uh, she called um, her this this character's life uh, a slim, a thin slither of consciousness that was preceded by eternity and was followed by eternity, and that's uh, what an extraordinary description of right. life. This thin this thin shaft of light with an eternity of unconsciousness on either side of it. That's all we are. 
Um, and I think within that space, it really, uh, it really is just about um, just finding those, the, finding that happiness wherever, wherever that is for you as a person, and not uh, hurting people along the way. It's really simple. Do your children have an awareness? Of death, I don't know how early kids they start do. to realise that people die. My five-year-old daughter does. She does. And how do you explain death to someone that young? Because I think that's where a lot of our sort of myths and comforts yeah, and all those yeah, sort yeah. of things come from, is trying to... I've been as straight with her as I can. Uh, I've told her n- not to be afraid. Here's but... an audio book of The God Delusion, if you could just <laughs> yeah. listen to this. You guys are fucking genius. Right. Uh, <laughs> Got no. some weird attitudes about women and Muslims. Yeah, some, but Some look, weird ideas about like... rape, but uh, anyway... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, and I, 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 I've tried to, and, and do you know, I think um, whenever a, a, a bit of comedy doesn't work for me, it's because it's not true. And I think it's true of life. Whenever things don't quite work, it's because it's not, it's, it's not true. So I've just tried to tell the truth. And the truth for me is death is not a tragedy uh, as long as the person's had a life before it. Right. It's not a tragedy when my 93-year-old grandmother dies. It's a tragedy if a child dies. That's right. very sad. Uh, and no one knows what comes afterwards, so don't worry about it. That's that's all I can say. Nobody knows what's out there, and it's not sad, and it happens to everything. No, no one escapes the axe man. I don't tell her there's an actual axe man. No. But we, no one escapes. I said everything that you see, every single thing that you see will no. die. Every single person that you see is going to die, and it's okay if they if – they, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone you know will die. And you will see them because you see dead people. Anyway, good night. Yeah, no, no, sweetie. You need to light them? No, no, you're good. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, just, I, I think Happy that's birthday. The... <laughs> and Finn. Uh, but no, I, I, I think that, that, that for me is, is true. Nobody knows what's out there. It's not sad if the person's had a life. And But then there's the thing, you know, she, she has started saying to me, are you going to die before me? And I'm like... And I try to tell her with certainty, yes, of, of course, and of course mm. you're gonna. But then you kind of go, oh my god, this mm. is this is the uh, this is, I'm going against what I've just said. I am lying. Where you kind of you make those assurances because you know, I mean, it's it, uh, I don't know how to tell her anything else. Right. So. There's a certain point where yeah, maybe it's better yeah, probably yeah. to yeah, yeah. You can okay. So a uh, couple quick things, and and then I'll, I'll let you get back to your family. Thanks. But uh, if you. How do you feel about regrets? Are you a person who lives with regrets or are you a person who kind of is like everything that I've been good or bad has made me who I am and I just have to deal with that? Yeah, I'm trying to learn from my – from. I do have regrets. I'm trying to learn from them and and, and one of those – You don't need to – oh, well, go on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think for me one of those regrets has been that I didn't um, – I didn't uh, – I didn't run with enough things. I didn't say yes to enough stuff because I thought I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. And I just have to – I've now just kind of gone, just do it. Just go. Just say yes to as many things and it will be okay. And if it's not okay, no one gives a shit. No one gives a shit. And I think so many things – so much of that, that that held me back was this, oh, I, can't, I can't do this. I'm not going to – and now I just kind of think – I've just – I'm sick. I'm, I'm actually sick of that. And I, uh, yeah, so I, I feel like maybe I, it, it's a good thing. I have actually learnt to maybe try to lighten up a little bit. Well, I also I think maybe that idea of that how important failure is. Yeah. Like I often think about it with uh, people who've not experienced failure. The mm. first time they do, yeah. it almost destroys them. Yes. 
uh, like, I mean, to talk about comedy, the thing that if, when a new comedian will ask me for advice, I always hesitate a little. Not that I don't want to help mm. or give advice or whatever, yeah. but I know that everybody's journey is going to be different. Mm. But the one bit of advice I know is true is get get comfortable with failing as quick, quickly as possible. Yeah. Because that will be the one thing that helps you grow. Yes. Because yeah. basically all the things that stop you from growing as an artist or taking risks or, like you say, saying yes to things yeah. are normally that fear of like it will take me outside my comfort zone and I might fail and failing will be terrible mm. and I'll never get to do comedy again because everyone will hear about it. But what you realize <laughs> is yeah. that everybody fails. That's Just right. like everybody dies, everybody dies on stage as well. And yeah. the great thing about comedy is that like, you get to get up there and you know, do it again or to, to take that opportunity again. And also I, I think that that richness of character, like there was a really great thing that I saw. It was um, Joan Rivers' acceptance speech for an Emmy that she won, like it was in the 80s. Uh-huh. And she'd had a really rough patch professionally. She'd had her, her show cancelled I think Johnny Carson had blackballed her. Right, from The Tonight Show. Right. Yep. Um, and Destroyed had, her. D- like yeah. that was, if you've seen A Piece of Work, which yeah. is her documentary, which I highly recommend oh, to no, everybody. Yeah, right. Have you not seen it? I haven't, no. I haven't oh, seen anything. You, uh, no, but this is, yeah. I mean, this is, particularly if you're a fan. Yes, I it's am. It's yeah. a vital, like, right. it's, you will love it. Yes. Like, it's, because it's only, I mean, a few years before she died, it's yeah. her back at a kind of peak, you know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. As an insight into a person, as a comedian, yeah. into a life, yeah. but also just as a, you know, to this, like right till the end. Yeah. Like there's this joke she does in it where <laughs> Michelle Obama's like, you know, been, uh, you know, like Obama's been elected and got Michelle Obama and she does this joke about like we had Jackie O and now we've got Blackie O. And I'm like, that's still as edgy <laughs> yeah. and funny a, like joke yeah. as, but the whole thing is is wonderful. There's yeah. a moment in a gig where somebody gets offended at a piece of material she does and yeah. she kind of turns on them and it's like, it's like, but you laughed at all these other things yeah. that I was... It's a wonderful piece of work wow. and it insu- it'll terrify you as well. Yeah. Like the nightmare she has looking at her diary when it's not full. Oh. Of like, I mean, to be that successful yeah. and that established and to still have all those fears and yeah. like whatever. Yeah. But I think you would love it. I if think you, you would love you it. If you do, uh, uh, after we'll look at it, it's, it her, it's her acceptance speech. So she went, she got this, uh, I think it was a daytime chat show off the back of having her show cancelled. Oh. And she wins an Emmy for it and she talks about, um, you know, the the thing that happened after Carson losing a show. She went bankrupt. She declared herself bankrupt and then her husband committed suicide. Yeah. And she talks about – and the end of her speech is amazing because she said, um, you know, my husband always said to me, you can always turn it around. There's always there's always a second chance to turn things around. And, and she finishes by saying, if only he'd remembered that on that night. Right. And wow. and your battle scars and your failures form you in a positive way as well and you can carry that and you can work with that creatively and you like I do feel like, you know, as you say, those failures you they 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 they, they form you as an artist and they're just as precious as your successes. Like they do inform you, you what you do well, creatively. I mean more so creatively. Absolutely. The amount of times like, you know, and I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but the amount of times six weeks out from a comedy festival, all I'm hoping for is a major disaster in my life. <laughs> yeah. Anything. <laughs> anything, please. I yeah. hope this plane crashes. I know the rest of you think that's terrible, but yeah. I need a new We hour. need something to happen here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I want to finish up but I want to ask you one more thing. If you had an opportunity to do one thing over, yep. 
you have one? Is there one thing that you kind of regret? I wish I had done that differently. I wish I'd had that moment again. I wish I'd handled that situation better. I have a regret about, it doesn't have to be professional. It could be a relationship thing. It could be a friend from high school. It could be something you said to your parents. Like one of the ones that weirdly enough comes to my mind is like all the time is like, and I've been thinking about this so much recently. Again, maybe just me thinking about kids and whatever. Yeah. Is I remember when I was in year seven at school and my friend Bede White mm. and uh, I really wanted to impress Bede. Like he yeah. was that kid at school that I yeah, was like, yeah, I yeah. want him to be my friend. Mm. And he came to watch me play basketball. And at that stage I was starting to like I was starting to get good at basketball and I was kind of like, this is like the my opportunity to impress Bede. If he comes yeah. and watches me play basketball and I play basketball well, he's going to think I'm cool and he's going to want to be my friend, you yeah, know. Yeah. And my mum had got the time wrong for the game and we missed the game. Yeah. And I remember being so angry and oh. yelling at my mum. And, like, the, oh, I, I still, yeah. to this day, yeah. like, I still, like, want to just say sorry to mum because I wasn't angry. at. She just made a mistake. But no. I, obviously I was just so upset and it, of course it was probably more embarrassing that I was yelling at my mum in front of my friend and yeah, like you yeah. know this woman who that's... was driving me around to basketball and helping me do all these sort of things and you, you know, know but... she would have understood that's what's right. even more oh, touching interesting. is that she would have she's known you since you were born Will she right. knows what you've thought the day before you've thought it so she would be watching you just going Oh, that, fuck, I'm going to take this for the team, you little shit, but I get what you're doing. Like, that actually would, comforts me a little that you say that. She loves you. She loves you more because than anything. Because it, yeah. it's weirdly enough, like 30 years later, I still like yeah. to sit there sometimes and go, geez, I wish I just had that day over. She knows you so well, though. <laughs> she would know that your angst was about this person you were trying to impress and it had nothing to do with her. She would know that. And, you know, sometimes and I haven't I haven't yet had to face teenage rage yet, right. but I know that I'm, I'm going to have to fucking suck it up. There are going to have to be points where I'm like, you're in a huge amount of pain because you're trying to figure shit out and I'm right. just the recipient of that shit. Like, that's, yeah. How do you – okay, I, I knew I was going to finish on this and I'll give you a moment, a moment to think about this doing over, but – You've just stumbled onto something that I find really interesting, so I'm going to ask you briefly about that. Mm. How? What if your child comes home, and which I imagine will happen at some yeah. stage, and somebody doesn't want to be friends with her oh. or him, or somebody is being... It's already happened. That's right. where, that's already? Where, yeah. Does it happen that... Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. How do you... What? That, to me, like yeah. just seems like such a heartbreaking and hard thing to deal with. Do you know what, though? They do it to each other all the time. Oh, That's a thing. Interesting. I, yeah, I kind of... Yeah. When it first happened, I was so heartbroken. And then I saw her kind of do it to someone right. else at... It's like, you little shit, <laughs> you little fucker. They right. do it, they drop each other and take up with each other. It's just... Because that's what kids are. It's this shifting, it's this complicated ocean okay. of, of relationships. But it's still, I mean, uh, you do, uh, like the tiger mum thing, you do, you bristle when someone goes, somebody said that my lunchbox was stupid. You're like, who is the little right. cunt who said that? Right. Show me who they are. And then you have to rein that in and go, it's all right, your lunchbox is fine. That's my great fear. Yeah, my great fear do. is I will turn into Liam Neeson, but, but just the, over a lunchbox. I know, and we're the people who are best equipped to do this because we're comedians. Right. Yeah. We could tear the shit out of these people. I know. I know, and, and that's the one thing that I kind of think. You can't use your powers. For... No, I can't use my superpower. I can take on pretty much anyone, anyone. when I'm on stage with a microphone, and I can't utilise it. Can't tear strips off a five-year-old. Oh, you could, though. Oh, jeez, you I'd be good at it. i fucking like... waste that cunt. I would waste her ass. So, so uh, to regret. go back to this, yeah, regret. regret. Do you have one? 
one thing just popped up, and I haven't thought of it since. It, well, I have thought of it since it happened, mm. but it's an embarrassing. And I think because I, uh, as a teenager, I always got crushes on boys that I could never possibly get. Like okay. I, I always went for the un- completely unattainable guy who totally didn't like me back. It was just this really, you know, I don't know what a psychologist would make of that. And I think as a consequence, I had just been hurt no, quite I a mean, few times. I mean, that's a, I, I'd imagine like comedians, <laughs> like in general, like have that. That's the thing. Like, I mean, yeah. it's the challenge. Yeah, right. I mean, the whole job is about. Yeah, making, I can make making you like, a com- like Making someone make like who doesn't like me like <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean? like, I'll hit you with the good yeah. stuff. <laughs> all right. This is just the good stuff for you. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I think I had been hurt and disappointed uh, so many times that I think I had developed a bit of a mean streak. Okay. I think I became a little bit inconsiderate about other people's feelings. And I remember this one really lovely guy at uni who I think in hindsight probably did have a crush on me. Uh, but I was oblivious. I didn't give a shit. And he uh, said, can I park my car at your house? I'm going away for the weekend. Um but could you pick me up from the airport at like 6.30 on Sunday morning because that's when I'll be getting back. But if I leave my car, you can drive my car while I'm right. gone. You know, it, was, it was a nice car and I didn't have a car. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. I can have a car for a couple of days. And All and you have to do is pick me up on Sunday all morning. All you have to do is yeah. pick me up at 6.30 on Sunday morning. And I went out on Saturday night, mm-hmm. got completely out of my tree. And the next thing I knew, it was maybe nine in the morning and there was a knocking at the door. And he was there with his dad because his dad had had to come and pick him up from the airport. And I opened up the door, hung over in a sarong, mascara all over my face. And he was standing there with his dad. I just, it's disgust—it's the most disgraceful uh, lack of, um, it's just everything about that is wrong and embarrassing. And, and I think... He was so lovely. He kind of laughed it off and was like, oh, it's, it's, no, it's no big deal. And he laughed. He's like, oh, do you have a big night? And I thought – and in my shitty fucking self-centered way, I thought that that meant everything was okay. Right. Like it wasn't him defending himself against me being an asshole. No. I thought, oh, he's fine with oh, this. he's fine jokes. with it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, we're yeah. cool. Who gives a shit, right? And I remember I, – I do have a vague recollection of his father looking at me in a certain way. And I, now yeah. I know – what the he, look was. Yeah, I know that look. Yeah. That's the look of That was the dad going, bitch. you said his fucking lunchbox was shit. That's right. <laughs> gonna fuck Leave you up. my son alone, you skank. <laughs> my son needs to find someone much better than this piece of shit. So, yeah, I, I and, and that's, um, yeah, I, I, that's just a disgrace. I, that's uh, a, that, but that's a, a, a thank, you for, thank you for sharing that because that is an excellent story because I think that it says so much, like, A, that you regret that. B, that that's something that a million people have done similar things to, I'm sure. And C, the insight that you gave at the start, which is that people hurt people. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, particularly early on, you play out the same things that have been kind of done to you on other people. Yeah, that's right. And I think I I just had so many bad experiences that I had just, I had just become a really insensitive which was weird because I was such an emotional teenager. Right. I was really emotional. And then I just went through this phase where I was just um, – I just didn't I, – I, 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 I really – I had lost all power of empathy. I just did not give a shit. I, it was and it, uh, the worst behavior of my life. Uh, I'm, you know, not but – I, But I also think that that's a really interesting insight and it's something that more broadly we could remember. We think about it a lot. I mean, I – 
just yesterday I was posting something about Australia's treatment of asylum seekers on my mm. Facebook page and the most horrible thing about that mm. is that there are people who will write things underneath that. Most people like who you know follow me or yeah. follow me on fa- but Facebook gets passed around a bit so you yeah. suddenly have people who are a little bit external who will add horrible yeah. opinions to the bottom and I was just trying to have a discussion with somebody about the idea that if we are mean to people, mm. if we like alienate groups in our society, I mean, the best way for us to fight terrorism in Australia mm. is not to like you know alienate everyone who's like a Muslim and yeah. you, know, it, you know make the communities more fearful and feel yeah. prejudice against. It's to include people. Yes, that's the, right. You know, yeah. and to make. Yeah. You know, the more we show people love, yeah. the more they will love other people in return. It's yeah. a very simple yeah. way. And, you know, most of the hurt that people do to other people mm. becomes, I believe, because they themselves have been hurt in that way and they, yeah. you know, damage people, damage people. That's it's, right. I know. I it's mean, a very simple, like, it, and I think it's something that we don't, and all of us. Mm. I mean, even today, I'm sure there are plenty of times today mm. where I behaved in some way, like I was... I was running late to the show and I was like grumpy at the person who was walking slow in front of me. <laughs> That's fine. That's actually okay. I mean, they were walking as very the arbiter, slow. <laughs> as, as someone who doesn't like slow walkers, they, that's an unassailable yeah. position. Anyway, look, I could talk to you for hours, but yeah, I really need great. to uh, let you go. Sarah Kendall, mm. uh, are you going to Edinburgh to do the I festival? Am. I am. I'll be uh, doing a day in October. Uh, and where is that on it? The Pleasants? Uh, no. No? Uh, it's going to be a George Square Gar- uh, Assembly on George Square Gardens. Oh, okay. The Assembly on George Square Gardens. I think that's what it's called. I should know that. Okay. And um, 6.45. Where can people uh, find out? If they want to, like, know about Sarah Kendall, where's Mm. the best Sarah Kendall place for people to – Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. Uh Uh-huh. And And what are you, at Sarah Kendall? I am Sarah underscore Kendall. Was there already a Sarah Kendall? I don't know. Or did you just went, I want the underscore? (laughs) I think everything I have an underscore in my hotmail. Oh. There you go. Yeah. I'm still Hotmail. That's right. Well, now you get weird emails from people. Oh. <laughs> Are you Will underscore Anderson? Will underscore Anderson on uh, Twitter. That's nice one. And uh, yes. So uh, if people want to like find you and yeah. are you – Planning to keep coming back to Australia to do the yeah, festivals and work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I um, I, I, every time I go back, I'm like, Dan, this is a great place to live. This is really, you know. And do I, you ever consider that that might be a thing that you do? That would be part of my my dream of of of, of turning my uh my, that that show into a book. If I could get that off the ground, I could do that anywhere in the world. That would be, you know, amazing. But you know. Well, Sarah, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so thanks, much for this doing has been the so podcast. Lovely. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey, I'm, I'm just going to do a couple of quick plugs as well. Uh, my free will tour is nearly finished. Uh, by the time you hear this, I might have a couple of nights left in London. So if you want to come and see me at the Soho Theatre, you can do that. After that, I'm going. Uh, I'm going to do the show at the Nerd Melt uh, Theatre in Los Angeles on July the 11th, and at the Montreal Just for Last Festival. You can on the 26th of July is my solo show. Uh, I'm doing other gigs that week, but please come. Come and see Free Will, the solo show, on the 26th of July. Uh, then it's also on sale at the Enmore in Sydney and uh, the PCEC in Perth with Justin Hamilton. And that's the end of the tour. So uh, please come out and see those shows. That would be really great. And if you like the podcast, make sure you rate it on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. Uh, Sarah Kendall, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Will. Thank you.
I could be 